It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, the Big Wednesday podcast, and it's Michigan Preview Week. Finally, Week 12, we've worked our way through the entire Ohio State schedule. We've worked our way through it so much, the schedule by now no longer looks like what it looked like when we started. But this is the one you've all been waiting for. Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and I in the second half of this will have a rapid-fire Ohio State-Michigan discussion with 12 questions from our tech subscribers. But we're diving right in with the man, Aaron McMahon. Michigan beat writer for MLive.com. We'll bring in the expertise first, and then, you know, Nathan, Stephen, and I will muddle through at the end. But, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. It's good to be back, Doug. So, listen, man, I got, I got a couple questions from our tech subscribers about Michigan, mm-hmm. and then we're just going to talk about some random stuff. But guess, guess who the people want to talk about first when it comes to Michigan? Jim yes. Harbaugh. Oh, Aaron McMahon. <laughs> Finger on the pulse of the program. Let me start off big picture with a couple of these questions. From the 216, how do Michigan fans actually feel about Jim Harbaugh and the state of the program? That's Joseph in Atlanta. From the 419, what do Michigan fans think about Jim Harbaugh? And from the 937, when will Michigan fans decide they've had enough of Harbaugh? If a coach came to Ohio State and had the track record of Harbaugh at Michigan, fans would have his head after one season. So when do the Michigan fans stand up and say enough is enough? Um, that's where we, that's so Aaron. If you didn't realize that, that's where Ohio State fans are on Jim Harbaugh. But the reason that I'm not answering that is because my perspective on Jim Harbaugh is from Ohio. Mm-hmm. You're there. You're there covering the program every day that is a double-figure win program that is way far ahead of where it was when Jim Harbaugh took over, but yet is not beating Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh is 0-5 against Ohio State. So what do the actual Michigan fans who have this guy as their coach, what do they actually think of him right now? Yeah, that's I, I tend to get a variation of that question whenever I do an interview, whether it's radio or someone out of town or whatever. And, and I think by and large, I think the fan base – is happy with Harbaugh and happy with Michigan. I, th- I think I just think they're frustrated. They haven't been able to get over the hump because keep in mind when Jim Harbaugh came, came to Ann Arbor in December of 2014, he was looked at as the the golden child, the you know the quarterback guy that he most I think most fans 
of Michigan thought they would, he would take them to, you know, the big 10 title and the playoff and everything else. And well, he's, you know, he's gotten them back to where they were before, pre Brady Hoke, pre, you know, Rich Rodriguez, they just haven't been able to get over it. And, and so I, to answer your question, I, I think there's some growing skepticism of whether he's going to ever be able to do it. But I, I do think Michigan fans have do realize, or, or maybe I don't realize, but maybe they're concerned that maybe this is as best as you know, as good as it's going to get. Um, you know, Jim Harbaugh by and large has run a clean program, and I think they're happy about that. I think they are pleased with eight, nine, ten wins a season. But they're 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 waiting. They they want they want him to get over the hump. Um, so I, I think there's some some growing frustration there. You know, there there it seems like after every big loss, Michigan suffers. Whether it's Penn State last year, or Wisconsin, or every you you hear the uproar. And I, I think I heard the uproar more. And I, this will be my fourth season covering covering Michigan football and Jim Harbaugh coming up on. And I can remember after uh, Michigan lost to Wisconsin. I think it was week three or week four last season. Um, they they went to Madison, got their butts kicked. It was their first Big Ten game, and and I remember the following Monday in Sports Talk Radio here in Ann Arbor, I had never heard the Michigan fan base so upset, so so frustrated, so pissed off, I guess. And it was it was at the players, it was at the defense, it was at Jim Harbaugh, and it, it got me thinking at that point that maybe maybe the fan base will one day turn on Jim Harbaugh, but I I just don't think they're there yet. You know, I I do think when they see him do some of these. Um, you know, the social justice activism things he's done, whether it's posting on Twitter in favor of Black Lives Matter or George Floyd, um, they, they kind of come back to realities. Because by and large, you know, Mich- as most of us know, Michigan and, and Ann Arbor specifically is a, is a very liberal town. So he, he fit, with, with regards to that, he fits in. Um, but they're, they're waiting on him to get over the hump. Whether he gets there or not, I don't know. Whether they turn on him, I, I don't know. But I, it, it's, it's, a complicated, it's a complicated answer to a complicated question. There's a game I think that Ohio State fans play, and again, we're doing daily podcasts down here on Buckeye Talk. We've played this game many times uh, over the course of this offseason. Like, who would be next? Who would replace Jim Harbaugh? Matt Campbell? Or what if Luke Fickle, you know, the ultimate Buckeye, left Cincinnati and went to Michigan? Or, you know, that kind of thing. What would the next guy do? I've had a theory that maybe if you thought Harbaugh was act, was the savior for Michigan, maybe he's actually a transitional figure. Maybe he's actually more like John Cooper, who succeeded in a lot of ways but couldn't win in the rivalry but helped set up Jim Tressel. Maybe the next guy's Jim Tressel. We talk about that from the Ohio State perspective a lot. Do Michigan fans theorize about Jim Harbaugh's replacement? Do Michigan fans theorize about mining get fired, mining decide to go to the NFL? Is that like a normal topic of conversation, or would Michigan fans be like, why is everybody in Ohio talking about all that, that all the time? You're crazy. No, that conversation does come up. I, I, the answer is, from what I hear, is more the opposite way. Is if if they move on from Jim Harbaugh, could it get worse? I mean, who? Because they, they they saw what happened when Lloyd Carr left, um, and they thought Rich Rodriguez would come in and and blow the blow you know blow things open and bring in the spread and turn Michigan into you know an upscale West Virginia, and and he couldn't do it. So then I think Michigan, after going through what they did, went through with Rich Rodriguez and, and the three and nines and the four and eights and the, and the like, not, not going to a bowl game and then going with, with Bray Hogue, who started hot but kind of petered out after that. I, I think the concern is if you let Jim Harbaugh go or move on from him, whatever you, whatever you want to describe, it, it could get worse. Um, because I mean, it's been a long time since Michigan's been in the national title discussion. It's been a long time since they've, I mean, they've won a Big Ten championship. And I, I think, um, in a way, the fan, Basis is is they, they kind of 
gravitate toward Harbaugh because they, they, by and large, they, they like how, like as I said before, they like how he's been successful. He won a lot of games, um, but it, they, they also acknowledge it could get worse as, as they saw in, in, the, in the mid to late 2000s. It's fascinating because, I mean, like all those things are true, right? That's the thing, Aaron, and, and I can tell sometimes I'm not sure where where you take this conversation, like anybody discussing it, because a, a multitude of things are true at the same time. That, yes, he hasn't beaten Ohio State, but, yes, he has rebuilt the program from the wreckage of Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. And, yes, Michigan has a proud tradition, but, yes, maybe Michigan is not on the top level of college football anymore. Like it's not even an either or with Jim Harbaugh. It's a, it's a either and or a, a and or that like it, it, depending how you want to frame the question or frame the discussion, the facts are the same, but your view of the facts can change drastically depending on how you decide to come at them. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I remember last summer I wrote a big, a big thing on Jim Harbaugh and his tenure at Michigan and compared it to his predecessors, compared it to some of the national, you know, some of his predecessors, coaching predecessors, coaching, um, you know, um, people that you would compare him to. And it, 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 depending on the statistic you looked at, you could skew it positively, you could skew it negatively. Um, but it, it's almost like Jim Harbaugh has done enough to keep him, keep him and himself and the Michigan football program, you know, above water. Cause I mean, it seems like every year, especially, you know, the preseason and even in some cases, a couple of years ago, they were, you know, top five nationally. They're always in the discussion. Michigan's always there. They're always being talked about. They're still recruiting relatively well. I mean, they, they had a top, top 10 class last year. And they, and they, he's done that a couple of times now. So it's, it's not like they aren't, aren't doing um, enough. It's just that I think they're, they're caught an interesting time where Ohio state has, caught fire as and, and they've been very good for several years now and they just haven't been able to top them not only recruiting not only being able to beat them but it's it, it, it almost seems like they're, they're in a no-win situation um they're in the wrong division in the big 10 they're in um you know they're maybe you can make the argument maybe the wrong conference but they just haven't been, been able to get over the hump they haven't been able to beat ohio state and to that to that point that has been jim harbaugh's achilles heel i mean ohio state has disrupted michigan's you know uh, uh, season and you know, every season they've, they've kept them from getting the Big Ten title game, I think, twice now under Jim Harbaugh. So it's it, it, it's basically come down to beating Ohio State, and Jim Harbaugh just hasn't been able to do it. So down down here, Aaron, whenever we're doing this podcast, if we have a Michigan headline on the podcast, because we track, we can track, you know, how many people listen to oh, that yeah. kind of thing. The Michigan headlines always do better than the other interesting topics around them. People who follow Ohio State – love to talk about Michigan, perhaps I believe because Ohio State has dominated the series. I didn't, I didn't cover Ohio State when John Cooper was 2-10-1, so I don't know if Ohio State fans wanted to talk about Michigan back then or not. Do Michigan fans, do they hate Ohio State? Do they just want to ignore Ohio State and have a good 11 other weeks of the season and then cross their fingers on the last Saturday in November? Are they, are they exasperated by Ohio State? Do they just tip their hat and say, you know what, maybe your program is just in a different place right now, but we can still really be good in our own way? Or do they do they wake up 365 mornings a year saying, man, I hate scarlet and gray? Like, where, where do you think Ohio State fans are with the rivalry, given everything we said about how you analyze Jim Harbaugh's tenure, depending how you look at it? What do they think of the Buckeyes? 
I think all of the above of what you said. I think I think you know if Michigan wasn't in the position that they are right now, being you know zero and five against Ohio State under Harbaugh and that extending now you know a couple of decades essentially, um, I, I think there would be more of an obsession for Ohio State. Um, you know, I think the fact that Michigan just can't beat them, it, it's almost like, you know, the, the little brother can't beat the big brother and he, he keeps trying, he keeps trying, but at some point you gotta, you can't talk smack anymore. You can't like poke him. You can't do anything because they've dominated so much. And I think that's where Michigan fans are with this rivalry. They, they want to see a, a win. They want to see Michigan finally do it. Um, and they hold out hope every season. You know, that I can't, I can't tell you in the last couple of years, it's, it's every, every seems, it seems like every year the fans are like, you know, cautiously optimistic that they think um, that this could be the year. And and I can remember a couple of years ago when Michigan went in there to the horseshoe two years ago, I think, and they were, they were the favorites. Um, they, were, they were projected to win the game. Most folks had been winning the game and they got stopped. And I, I think that was the point where Michigan fans realized, okay, like we, we at this point, the way we're going, I don't think we have much of a shot. So that, it, I think it's, it's all the above. And I think that, and it, and getting beat down every year, I think hurts that. Um, but I don't think they have the same obsession as Ohio State fans. And, they, again, that may be because Ohio State has been dominant so much over Michigan. Um, you know, and I think part of it, too, Michigan does have other rivalries they have to worry about. I, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, and it almost seems like, especially the last few years, and, again, maybe this is because of Ohio State's dominance in the rivalry, but it almost seems like Michigan's players are more dialed in, more focused on the Michigan State rivalry with Michigan as opposed to Ohio State. Now, whether that's whether that's because they, they know they can beat Michigan State and they've showed they can, or there's there's more bad blood, I've never been able to diagnose that. Um, but it's 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 weird because Michigan they got the rivalry with Notre Dame, so it's 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 almost like they've got to you know uh, cater to different parties here when Ohio State is it seems almost solely focused on Michigan year in year out and, and every day. All right, so we want to get into some specifics here on the offensive side, on the defensive side, what Michigan's strengths and weaknesses are going to be for the 2020 season. But before we do that, I do want to talk about recruiting a little bit because that's a thing that, again, Ohio State fans love to talk about because Ohio State has recruited so well lately. You look at the most recent class in 2020, Ohio State was, uh, according to the 247 Sports Rankings, the number five overall class in the country, number one in the Big Ten. Michigan, number 13 in the country, number two in the Big Ten. You look at the 2021 rankings, Ohio State's number one in the country. We all know that. Michigan, number eight in the country in the 2021 rankings right now. Again, second in the Big Ten. Again, we talk about this a lot, Aaron. We talk about, a lot about talent gap, recruiting edge, Ohio State versus Michigan, that kind of thing. You look, Michigan is not bringing in the top, top level guys at the same extent that Ohio State is. For instance, in 2021, Ohio State has seven top 50 recruits. Michigan has one. But you start getting talking like top 200, top 250, top 300. Michigan, it seems like, gets a lot of good players in the 200s and 300s, and they're recruiting. They're ranked as the second-best team in the Big Ten in recruiting. What do you think of Michigan's recruiting? Is it good? Could it be better? Is it on the upswing? Is it on the downswing? Has the strategy changed at all? is, Is recruiting a strength for Jim Harbaugh right now, or is it something they could be better at? I, again, I think it's it's all the above. You know, Jim has had such a turnstile with his recruit with his excuse me, excuse me with his coaching staff since he's been here with Michigan. It almost seems like every year, and I know this is common, at, you know, several schools around the country, but it seems like he has assistants coming in year in and year out. So I think that in a way has changed his recruiting philosophy over the years. I mean, just this past this past year, they lost Chris Partridge and Anthony Campanelli. They both had a huge pipeline in the state of New Jersey where Michigan was getting some of these 
they got that's where they went and got Rashawn and Gary, uh, you know, former five star kid. Um, so they, they, their 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 pipelines have changed over the years. I, I remember when Jim Harbaugh first got to Michigan, they were kind of all over the place. They were going wherever they wherever they could. Where, they were going after the five star kids nonstop. And I think Jim thought that his reputation and his splash at Michigan would, would would be able to win over some kids, and they did. You know, they got some some talented guys in here. They they were they went after them quick, um, but. It, since then, it's it slowly changed. I mean, they've been kind of boxed out of Ohio, as you guys are more are well aware down there. Um, they've been hit or miss with with some of the top kids here in the state of Michigan. Penn State's come in and gotten some guys. Uh, Kentucky's starting to come in and get more guys. Um, so Michigan, it's kind of, they kind of had to widen their net once again. I mean, they're, they're still recruiting, obviously, the, the region, but they've, they've gone out to Maryland, and they, they're still trying to get New Jersey. Um, they're starting to get the, the state of Florida again. But again, it's it's been it's been hit or miss. They've never been able to have like a consistent pipeline. So I, I, overall, recruiting wise, I think they've been fine. Um, but when you're not recruiting, I've said this to people before. When you're not recruiting at the level of an Ohio State or an Alabama or wherever, you need to almost over um, develop guys. You need to turn those three and four star guys and develop them into superior talent, into five star type guys. And Michigan's again been hit or miss with it. They've been spotty with it. They they did a good job with Devin Bush, who was a mid um, four level four star guy out of Florida a few years ago. They did did well with him. Rashawn Gary, I mentioned earlier, was a five star guy. He was he was okay. He was a first round guy, but there there's question of whether he li- ever lived up to his talent. Donovan Peoples Jones, receiver out of Detroit, who just left, and he was I think a sixth or seventh round pick in the NFL draft. Again, another former five-star guy that, they, that many folks thought didn't live up to the potential. So they're, they, they're able to bring talent in, and sometimes you're able to get more out of them than some folks think, but then they under they underperform with other players. So I, I think that goes to lack of staff continuity. I think sometimes there's um, maybe a, a they, they, they ignore a position group for a year or two, and it comes back to bite them when it comes to talent. So it's – or excuse me, with depth. So it's a lot of things – um, but it, one thing is clear, they're just not recruiting the, the same level as Ohio State. Or they're not getting as many five-star guys. A good year for Michigan from the recruiting class is, is like one or two five-star guys, whereas you know, Ohio State, as you guys know, are pulling in multiple. So you've got to make up, that, make, up, make up for that in other areas, whether it's scheme, whether it's developing guys, and, and, and that I think is where they've, they've fallen short. So one of the guys, and, and as we'll start edging toward the current roster, but a last thing on recruiting, I just am um, – waiting for this to be just a fascinating sort of individual battle within the context of the game. Uh, JJ McCarthy, the number 18 overall player in the class of 2021, uh, a recruit originally from Illinois, I think now at IMG Academy, he's the number two quarterback in the country going to Michigan. Number three quarterback in the country going to Ohio state is Kyle McCord, number 22 overall player. So these are two top 25 national guys, top three quarterbacks, same year, we could settle into a situation where these guys wind up going head-to-head as the starting quarterbacks in this rivalry for two, three years possibly. But from the outside, again, particularly when it comes to what Michigan has and hasn't done at quarterback, it looks to me like I'm wondering, is is J.J. McCarthy potentially a transformative recruit for Jim Harbaugh uh, at Michigan? He's the highest-ranked guy in 20. 20- 2021 for Michigan right now. How big a deal do you think it, it's possible that J.J. McCarthy ends up being for the Wolverines? 
Oh, I, I, I certainly think it's possible. And I think from the Michigan perspective, from their fan base, I think they're hoping. They, they almost feel like it, he needs to be because it, we, it almost seems like we've been through this before with Jim Harbaugh and his, and his quarterback recruits. I mean, uh, three or four years ago when they brought in uh, Brandon Peters, a former four-star kid, they thought he was going to be – he was he was Jim Harbaugh's first true quarterback recruit so in the class of 2016 when I mean, you don't count 2015 class because he had just come in December. But, you know, everyone thought Brandon Peters was going to be that guy. He was a mid-level four-star guy. I think he was a Gatorade player of the year um, out of Indiana. He was high, highly touted. He went to Elite 11. He was, you know, off the charts, a lot of things, and he never panned out. Um, you know, they, they tried to give him a shot there in 2017. He, he kind of he didn't, didn't live up to expectations and he ended up transferring out. Then you, you, you bring in, you know, Jim Harbaugh had tried his hand at other quarterbacks transfer. Jake Rudock panned out for the one year he transferred from Iowa. Um, but, it, it, you know, John O'Corn didn't do well. Wilton Spade got hurt. Uh, and then you bring in Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson was supposed to be that guy in 2018. I mean, all the hype coming in, people were talking Heisman, all this stuff. Um, and and while, you know, Shea was good, and I, I thought he worked well in Michigan's system and what they asked him to do, he wasn't that transformative player. And I think that's what's, again, that's another, that may be another reason why Michigan hasn't been able to get over the hump and, and be that top five elite program in the country. McCarthy, McCarthy certainly has the, you know, the ability. I mean, he's got a good size. I've seen some highlight tapes of him. I haven't seen him in person, but from what I've seen the highlights, I mean, the kid, he's, a, he's an athletic kid. He throws the ball well. He's got a good arm. All, all that kind of obviously fits into to what Jim Harbaugh likes to do. Um, but it, it, I think it goes beyond that. I mean, the, the physical traits and the, and, the, and the highlight tapes are great, but you've got to develop the kid into a, a, an elite college quarterback. And, and so far, Jim Harbaugh really hasn't been able to do it. He's, I mean, at the most success he's had with quarterbacks have been have been transfers. Um, guys that kind of they, they've gotten their feet wet at other programs and established themselves in a way and come in and, and been you know pretty successful in Michigan, but he hasn't been able to take them over the top um, like he's been you know heralded at, at doing elsewhere. All right, we're going to get onto the field with the Wolverines and the players on the roster in 2020. But first, we'll take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk. And again, if you want to be able to ask questions on this podcast to get information from guys like Aaron McMahon, you can be a tech subscriber, 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. Send a text to 614-350-3315. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Lamarie is back with Aaron McMahon from MLive.com. Make sure you're reading him there for all your Michigan football news. We'll use this question from the 419 to figure out where we're going to go next. Aaron, this is from the Ohio State perspective. What should we fear more about Michigan, their offense or their defense? So in 2020, Aaron, which side of the ball do you think will be better for the Wolverines? You know, I think the defense. I think they're, they're more experienced. They're older there. They got less question marks on the defense side of the ball. I know that's it's funny to say because it seems like Michigan or Ohio State's offense hasn't had much of a trouble trouble with Michigan's defense in the last couple of years. Um, but they they got some talent guys as I think we've documented well documented the last couple of years. They got some guys coming back, experienced um, guys, a couple of potential you know for day one or day two NFL picks. Um, so they got some playmakers on that side of the ball. No one I, I, with uh, all American you know accolades at this point. Um, but they've they've got you know the, the defensive line. They got three stars coming back. Um, they're, they're linebackers. They got a couple talented guys, especially Cam McGrone. I think the, the kid's going to be off the charts here in another year or two. Um, and their secondary, their four defensive backs, largely are, are pretty experienced. Um, so I, definitely the defense. All right. So we'll start there on the defensive side of the ball in, in breaking these people down. And again, we talk a lot about um, the five-star recruits and translating that talent. 
Dax Hill is a guy in the secondary. He was the number 14 overall player uh, in the class of 2019. Number one safety in the country. Number one player in Oklahoma. He picks Michigan. Played, played as a freshman. That guy, is that the kind of guy, Aaron, that, that as a sophomore now in 2020 can, can be the kind of, you know, game-changing program affecting talent what's the the read on how good Daxton Hill might be as a sophomore yeah well they like his speed I will say that I mean the, the kid has off the chart speed they knew that coming out of high school and that was one of the things I think that, that they, they gravitated toward the most I mean Don Brown's defense um, flourishes on, on speed I mean as we as we well know he needs he needs guys in the right places at the right times and guys with that they that are able to keep up with with you know, opposing players. And Dax Hill, I think, is one of those guys. Uh, he was interesting last year because he was obviously a true freshman. He, he didn't he didn't enroll early. He came in last summer. Um, and I know Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff were kind of pushing him to come in as early as possible. Um, but in the beginning of fall camp and even early in the season, he was buried on the depth chart. And the Michigan coaches had no problem uh, making that public. Uh, you know, it's almost like they were kind of baiting him or, you know, testing him in a way. Uh, and as the season went on, you kind of started, you started to see him get more playing time. And then by the end of it, uh, you know, he was, he was playing regularly. He was in the, he was in the rotation as kind of that nickel, that fifth guy. Uh, and he started, he started playing more, um, but he's certainly had more responsibility this year. You know, he, he isn't, he's, he's expected to be a starter at safety. Um, they, they like his speed. I think they thought it was a little undersized. I think they wanted to put him, wanted him to put on a little more weight. And I think he did. Um, but he, he, he certainly has those, those characteristics and, and those, um, you know, that there's that hope there. Um, but again, it, as we know with Don Brown's defense, it, it, you need more than one player to, to be effective. Obviously you need everything working at the right time. Uh, and, and for them to, you know, to stop Ohio State's, you know, the offense or, you know, Penn State or whoever, even Minnesota this year, they're going to they're need their defensive backs working. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be more than just him. So again, when you think about, again, specifically the matchup, what this might look like with Ohio State, Michigan, if these teams get to play this year, you know, everybody realizes what Justin Fields is. There's a lot of high expectations for the Ohio State passing game with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and some of these young guys like Julian Fleming. But as you're saying, this Michigan secondary, Ambry Thomas is like a, is like a pretty respected veteran corner. This is going to, is this going to be a pretty good secondary overall? Do you think could this be, Again, you don't have to stop Justin Fields to win the game, but you've got to at least slow down that passing game a little bit. Can this Michigan secondary potentially do that? I, I do. I think Ambry Thomas, in a way, is, is better than Lavert Hill. I mean, Lavert had a lot, of, a lot of expectations going into last season as a senior. He, he he played okay, but he got burned and he was penalized a lot. Ambry Thomas is, I think, a, a quicker, um, uh, better version of him. So he's yeah, he's again another interesting guy. He was diagnosed with the colitis last summer. He was not Jim Harbaugh and the coach. I've talked about it quite a bit. He was in he was in the hospital for a couple of, about uh, four to six weeks last last summer, and there was there's a there's a belief that he may not might not have been able to play last year. He ended up coming back and he, he played the season opener. He played every game. It was it was a pretty incredible story. But he's a talented guy. He's coming. His name has popped up on a lot of watch lists. A lot of you know the preseason prognosticators have him as a potential first team All Big Ten defensive back. He's certainly the anchor of, of that secondary. You know he's a leader. Um, he, he's kind of he's, he kind of developed a mean, more of a mean streak in the last year or two, uh, kind of a you know chip on the shoulder type type attitude. Um, but with him and, and you know Brad Hawkins, he's another returning guy, senior at safety. Hawkins and, and Dax Hill paired together with Ambry. Um, this is this is an interesting group. They could be very good. They could have one of the best defensive back defensive backfields in the Big Ten. Um, the one question mark 
is going to be the other cornerback spot. Vincent Gray, he's, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore this year. He's in the hunt to probably get the starting job, but there's a boatload of guys behind him. Michigan kind of brought him, whether it was this recruiting class or last, they're kind of waiting in the wings. They got, I mean, I count, I'm looking at my, my scholarship count number right now. Michigan has 17 defensive backs under scholarship this year. Um, so they got a lot of young guys waiting. It was a couple four and five, four star guys they got from this, this incoming recruiting class. So there's gonna be a lot of competition there for that fourth quarterback spot. But the other three spots, Michigan, again, like I said, Michigan has the potential to have one of the best uh, defensive backfields in, in, the, in the conference. In terms of getting after the passer, I guess Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay, a couple of guys who, who can do that. Will this be a, a team that can rush the passer? Do you think, or again, trying to think about, I don't know, you probably can't let Justin Fields stand back there, right? You got to get after him at least a little bit. Will they be able to do that? We've seen good Michigan defensive linemen, you know, rolling through here the past couple of years. How does this year compare? Yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be solid. Um, you know, uh, you know, Quiddy Pay and, and Aiden Hutchinson are two reliable guys. They don't have, I think, the pass rushing instinct or ability that maybe a Rashawn Gary had last year. Um, uh, or you know, guys we've seen in the past, but they're, they're, they're reliable. They're good. Um, they can get to the quarterback when they, when need be. Michigan's defensive line is going to be interesting this year because, as I mentioned, Don Brown likes to, they, they, the goal is to get after the quarterback. That's what they want. They want sacks. They want pressures. They want the quarterback to get rid of the football as quickly as possible because in their, in, in, they believe that if you get rid of the football quickly, they're, they're more, you know, um, you know, reliable for mistakes. Um, they, but Michigan doesn't have that edge rusher that we saw last year, like Josh Uche. Uche was listed as a linebacker, but he was more of an edge, you know, edge guy, outside linebacker, um, end guy. Michigan doesn't really have that this year, so they're gonna have to kind of change the way they play. I think up front, um, you know, because they had more edge rushing last year, they went more with with a three-four front up front. Um, last season this year I suspect they're gonna do more 4-3 so you're gonna see more like like I said Aiden Hutchinson Cody Pay, Carlo Kemp he's defensive tackle inside he's back for his fifth year so he's he's he started most of last year Michigan can rely on him uh, Michigan does have a question mark though inside that that kind of that fourth um, line they, again they got a lot of guys I, I count 19 scholarship guys right now uh, def- along the defensive line uh, they got they got guys in competition for that fourth defensive tackle spot um you know, it's going to probably go to Chris Hinton, who will be a sophomore this year. He played a little bit as a true freshman last year. He was another high four-star recruit out of, out of Detroit. Um, they're, they're relying a lot on him. And, and another kid, Mozzie Smith, he's going to redshirt freshman out of Grand Rapids. But again, they're young. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. But their end should be fine. I, I don't think they'll have the pass rushing um, you know, killer instinct, as you've seen in past Michigan teams. Um, but they're going to be competitive. They'll get to the football when they need to. Um, and it's going to be so. I think it'll be a little bit different looking uh, line up front, um, just in terms of you know scheme and, and whatnot. But I think it'll be almost as good as, as we've seen in years past. Don Brown is obviously just a fascinating figure at Michigan and in the rivalry. Uh, his relationship with Ryan Day that they both they coached at Boston College together. I know there's kind of a view down here that again when you mentioned a couple of years ago, it's like here comes Michigan. They have this great defense the whole year. Um, and Ryan Day kind of like had a game plan for like his his old uh, friend and fellow coach at Boston College. The thing I don't know that anybody can or would even try to dispute that Don Brown is a good defensive football coach. I mean, Don Brown has has a track record there. But I, I do wonder sometimes is does should Don Brown bring something extra for for the game? Should he have some kind of wrinkle for the Buckeyes and maybe. I don't know. Like, 
How do you view Don Brown both as overall, as, as the defensive coordinator for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, and then how do you view him in how he's game-planned and schemed it up in trying to slow down Ohio State, which definitely he, the Wolverines really haven't done the past couple of years? Yeah, statistically speaking, I mean, Don Brown's defense, it seems like year in and year out are, are, are top five in the country, whether it was in Michigan or Boston College, where he was at before Michigan. In fact, you know, his, his statistics, I guess, were one of the reasons why Jim Harbaugh hired Don Brown in the first place. He liked what Boston College defense were putting up and he wanted something similar to Michigan and and yeah by and large I mean he's been he's been pretty effective the way Don Brown his his defenses thrive on on getting the quarterback and and speed now most of the time that works most of the times Michigan's able to suffocate opposing offenses they're, they you know they're able to not you know get some TFL sacks um, you know teams have struggled trouble even you know getting the football out um, but the issue has been for Michigan against you know teams that have have playmakers have more speed on the offensive side of the ball. Michigan just hasn't been able to shut them down. You know whether it's Ohio State, they've struggled against Penn State in recent years. Last year, interestingly enough, they struggled against Wisconsin's run game. Um, so it, it almost seems like you know, and that's the common um, critique of Don Brown here in Ann Arbor is is he wins a lot of games and his defense performs and it does great statistically, but in the big games that they they melt as as you guys have seen down to Columbus the last few years. So it, it, there, there have been calls and cries for him to change his game plan, change the way he does things. Don Brown is an old soul. He's stuck to his ways in a way. You know, he, and he said this before. He's like, if, if Jim Harbaugh wants me to change the way I orchestrate or, or draw up a defense, I'll go retire in, uh, in, my, in my cottage in Maine. And he, he's openly said that. Um, you know, he, it's apparent he was brought to Ann Arbor to, to play a certain way and do and perform a certain way. And, he, and he's doing it. Now, has he, has he altered things in the last couple of years to, to, you know, to, to try and defend Ohio State and other teams? Yes. I mean, he has sprinkled in a little bit of zone. He, he acknowledged till last year to try and change things up. They went to more of a 3-4 front, as I mentioned earlier, with some more package guys um, this past season. But it, it was clear it didn't really work. I mean, we, we saw what happened in the Ohio State game. They, they, they struggled against Wisconsin. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pretty good – um, you know, when Michigan struggles out the gate against teams, we saw it last year against or excuse me, against Penn State. We saw it the year before against Northwestern and Penn State. Um, he's able to he's able to make ch- changes. You know, they, they're able to you know go in at halftime and come out of the gate, and they often play, oftentimes look a little better than they they did in the first. Um, but it, with the with the way Michigan recruits and and not when in the recruiting you know the, the talent gap. Um, I think that's where Michigan loses it. I think they don't have the size in some cases. They don't have the speed as as, as Ohio State on offense, and that's where they get beat. Um, we saw it, you know, we saw it in the Citrus Bowl against Alabama this year, this past year too. Right off the gate, the you know the first drive of the game, Alabama goes 70, 70 yards for a touchdown in the first play. So it was, it, it was almost like it was a oh here we go again, you know deja vu type thing. So it's Don Brown is well liked, and, and you know they. Folks around here respect what he does. He's put up a lot of numbers, as I said. The, the, the problem is, and, and he just hasn't been able to win big games. Will he do? It? Will he be able to do it in the future? I don't. I don't know. Um, but given the way they recruit and the way they play defense, it's it, it's going to be tough for them to try. I think trying to match up with some of the elite programs, some of the elite offenses in the country. It's interesting to hear you say that, as you know, Don Brown explaining if Jim Harbaugh wants me to run a different defense, I'll retire and go to my cabin. Because clearly on offense, Jim Harbaugh did decide to do something different and brought in Josh Gaddis to do that. It felt like from the outside, there were some bumps maybe early last year with the Josh Gaddis offense, but maybe they started to figure some things out late. Why do you think 
there's a dichotomy there that Harbaugh, as an offensive guy, was willing to adjust where his defensive coordinator is like, nah, I'm not doing it. And then we'll start transitioning to the offensive side of the ball and, and maybe what you think this offense could look like in 2020. But is that, is that a little bit of a scratch your head kind of thing that one side of the ball did change and the other side of the ball is kind of saying we're not going to change? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, Jim is more of an offensive guy. He spends more of his time in practice and meetings on the offensive side of the football. So I think he's more involved on that side. It, it, it almost and it almost seems like Don Brown has more autonomy in defense. Jim Jim has basically handed Don Brown the keys to Michigan's defense and said, "Hey, you you coordinate it. You 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 coach the linebackers. You draw up the specialty packages, and we'll do our own thing." So yes and no. I mean, Jim, Jim I think recognized that his offense was was becoming. A little stale, a little old. He, he needed to kind of moderate. I think the joke was he was going to, you know, he's modern, modernizing with the times. Um, and, and, he, and he did. You know, to his credit, he did last year. He brought in a new offensive coordinator, a kind of outside the box higher than Josh Gaddis, who never, who never called a play before in his life. Yes, he'd been a coordinator, but he had, he had some help along the way. Um, and, and that's, and that was the decision to bring Josh Gaddis in. Now, I thought he did it a year too late, given the, given the talent that Michigan had last year. And you mentioned the speed, you know, the, the road bumps that they had last year. And it was the first, I see the first five or six games, they struggled out of the gate. And by that point, as we all know, in the college football landscape, one or two losses and you're cooked. And that was Michigan's case last year with, uh, with, with Gaddis in his first year offense. So now moving to offense, what is your expectation level for, Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh working together in year two. I mean, do, would you expect maybe like a big leap of like, okay, now we really have a handle on what this Michigan offense is going to be. This is going to be interesting because last year we, we knew what Michigan had coming back from, from an offensive personnel standpoint. I mean, they, they had all their starters on the offensive line when were back. Shea Patterson was back for a senior year. Um, they, they had options at, at running back. They had, they had playmakers at receiver in theory. So the, I think the, the idea going into 2019 was that Michigan was going to you know, get off the gas and go. They were going to start hot and, and you know, have, a shot, have a shot that year to do it. And they just couldn't do it. This year is unique because while the system's in place, they got some question marks in the office in the ball, and I think they have more question marks on that side. I mean, the quarterback situation still hasn't been figured out. Yes, they've got some guys there, but neither one of them really have a ton of experience. Um, one, I don't think fits Michigan's offensive scheme at all. I mean, they got, you know, Dylan McCaffrey, who's back, who's coming back. I think he fits it more. He's, he's got more of a, um, he, he, you know, he, more, more, he can run more of the RPO style. He can, he, he's shown an ability to scramble and get out of the pocket. Um, but Joe Milton is more of a, more of a, you know, a, a drop back pass or more of a prototype Jim Harbaugh quarterback. I um, mean, he does have a stronger arm, but he's, he, he's shown up. He just doesn't have a, the accuracy. Um, they've been working with that in, in the last couple of years. I'm curious what, what ends up going there. To me, I, I think Dill McCaffrey would, would be better fit to run the offense. But again, there's, there's this feeling, I think, that they have a higher ceiling with, with Joe Milton. Just his arm strength is, is ridiculous. I mean, we've, we've been told nonstop, and again, we haven't seen it because we're not, we don't, we're not allowed him to practice. But you know, he, he's, he's thrown 75, the, the football 75 yards without hitting the ground. The, the guy's got a can. He played baseball. They, they think he could have played, had a shot to play professional baseball, too. So there's, there's question marks to quarterback. Um, running backs, I, compared to last year they, they got a lot more experience there but they, the offensive line is going to be a question mark they, they graduated four guys um, um they got one returning starter they got a lot of guys there but they don't they not again not a ton of experience and, and given this offense and the complications that it presents um you know i, I suspect they're gonna have tr especially trouble um pass protecting I and mean, one of the things that warner has, has 
talked about is they, they think they'll be okay running the football. And I think from, from an offensive lineman standpoint, you're more comfortable defending against the run or blocking, blocking for the run as opposed to when, when it comes to the pass game. Um, so Michigan will, should be able to run the football okay. But that, that, that pass game where I think Josh Gass's offense um, you know, thrives most is, is, is they're, they're not, it's unclear at this point. You don't know who the quarterback's going to be. They do have some guys coming back at receiver, Nico Collins, who people, people say could be a potential first-round pick. Ronnie Bell's back, another talented guy, but they got a lot of inexperience in receiver too. So there's more question marks outside of the ball than, than last year. Um, so, and that's why, that's why I made the earlier point that I think Josh Gaddis came a year, year too late because, you know, had they gone through the speed bumps that they went through last year in say 2018, and then they, they had the, the personnel, they would have been okay last year. Now they don't have the personnel everywhere. So there's going to, there's going to be some, I think, figuring out to do, especially, especially early on. So well, let's, let's zero in even a little bit more on the quarterback mm-hmm. position. Question from the 216. Who do you think is going to be the starter at quarterback? Which quarterback poses the bigger threat to Ohio State? Which one do you find to be the most intriguing? And then I'll add it into that, Aaron, just continuing this McCaffrey-Milton discussion. You know, is it possible that in 2021, because we talk about that, um, knowing that Justin Fields is going to be gone for 2021, could Kyle McCord come in as a true freshman and get in the fight with Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud and maybe possibly win the job as a true freshman in 2021? Regardless, I mean, if, if, if neither Milton, Joe Milton nor Dylan McCaffrey, you know, sets the world on fire in 2020, could J.J. McCaffrey storm in as a true freshman in 2021 and be like, I'm the guy now, this is what we're doing. But if you had to pick, if you had to guess, and again, Spring football was canceled. None of us get to watch very much. Do, do you have a – who would your guess be at who starts this year? And do you think it's possible that, like, they play both in some kind of shared quarterback system? So the, the, the question about a shared quarterback uh, system was brought up. Josh Gass was asked it a few months ago, and he, he kind of poo-pooed the idea. He said, he said we're not considering it at this point. They, 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 they think that doesn't really work. Michigan tried that a little bit last year with Dylan McCaffrey and, and Shea Patterson. They did some weird things where, like, Shea would, would line up, you know – and, and shotgun and Dylan would be a, go out wide and they, they did some funky stuff. It just never seemed to work. So I, I think, I don't think they're going to go the two quarterback route, but I, I don't think it's out of the question, you know, just because they didn't have spring practice. There's so many uncertainties around these two. So it could be, but I, so I, 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 I gather that it probably won't happen when it, when it goes to the, the, the quarterbacks, Michigan has kind of painted this as, and Jim Harbaugh's done a good job over the years of doing this, but they painted this as a, as a three quarterback race. Um, with, with redshirt freshman Keith McNamara involved, but McNamara hasn't really taken a snap at the college level, so I don't really count him. It's going to be McCaffrey or Milton. My, my gun to my head, I, I think it's going to be McCaffrey. He's largely been the back when, when, when it comes to depth chart stuff and, and reps. Uh, the last couple of years, he's taken more more snaps than Milton gained, so I, I do think uh, you know McCaffrey has the edge edge there. He also has another year of experience in the system. Um, it, it, McCaffrey, I think, is, is going to be the guy. If the season started like you know next week, it would definitely make. I think it would be McCaffrey. Milton, I think, is the most intriguing think guy here. Um, he, his, like I said, his arm strength is through the roof. Um, th- there's a lot of unknown there. If they can harness some of that and and improve his accuracy, and they spent the better part of last year doing that. They brought the quarter, you know, the quarterback coach was working with him quite a bit. I, I know Jim Harbaugh is working with Joe Milton quite a bit. Um, to try and bring that in. Because if they can harness his accuracy and, and make him um, a more reliable thrower, I, I, I do think he, he possesses, I think that he could potentially be that standout guy, that, that quarterback that Michigan that could take Michigan over the top. I mean, he's got incredible size. I mean, the kid's huge. He's built like a basketball player. He's tall, 
um, thick. Um, so he doesn't, he's, he's not really, but again, as I said earlier, he doesn't really fit into Michigan's offensive scheme that they're running. They want a guy, it's, it almost seems like they want a guy that can run the RPO and, and run the wildcat and get outside and, 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 and create a, a threat of the run. McCaffrey does that more. I think he has the year of experience um, and, and he's more accurate. So I, I think right now he's the front runner, but I, again, I, I, and I think spring practice was going to be interesting. I think more, more important for Joe Milton. Because I, I made this argument a few months ago that had there been those practices to go through, Milton could have, could have shown all those things. He could have shown he, had, you know, he was more accurate. He could have showed his arm strength and showed that he was the guy, and he just didn't get that. So I, I think with the with the, with the lack of unknowns, with, with, with so many unknowns, and and you're basically going off of you know previous year's tape. I think McCaffrey is, is the guy at this point. It's interesting. It, it sounds a tiny bit, Aaron, sort of what Ohio State was dealing with for 2018 with Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow, that Burrow was a little bit, Burrow was more of a runner, was more of the guy who probably fit the established offense that Urban Meyer was running at that time. And then Dwayne Haskins was like this big guy who could throw it, but really wasn't an RPO guy. Wasn't, there was a lot of stuff that was, he wasn't a great fit for the style that Ohio state thought they wanted to run, but it was like, listen, man, we got to play this guy and we got to figure this out. And they put up a gazillion points and he wound up being a Heisman finalist. Um, But it was urban Meyer very much during that year was kind of like, this feels weird to me. You know, this is not the offense I'm used to, but we have this guy on our roster who has this skill set and is really talented. And he's the guy we're going with. Um, It makes me, you describing this, makes me very curious about it because it feels like when you have a choice like this, Aaron, it's not just about the quarterback. It's like almost like a fundamental value set of, of what does Jim Harbaugh want to do? What is he willing to change? You know, if you brought in Gaddis to go this one way, but yet Milton's kind of back this other way, this kind of is a big decision for Jim Harbaugh potentially. Absolutely. And I do think you mentioned JJ McCarthy earlier. And I do think the loser of this quarterback battle, assuming they don't go with a two quarterback system, I think is going to be looking to leave. They're going to be looking to transfer out. And that would open up, I think, a, an opportunity for JJ McCarthy coming in in 2021 to potentially come in and not only compete for the starting job, but win it. Um, because he, there's this, again, as I said earlier, there's this idea that he, he could be that transformational figure in the offense and take, and take things up a notch something that you know McCaffrey and Milton didn't have coming out of high school necessarily and, and still haven't been able to kind of capture. Uh, but again, you know, there's, there's an off season to try and figure it out. It's, it's going to, it's going to be interesting which way they decide to go. Um, and, and, and the reper, repercussions from that will be, I think even bigger because as I mentioned earlier, there's Cade McNamara there. He's, he's right now. He's the third guy. He's redshirt freshman, hasn't played. And then Michigan had to scramble um, and, and find a, They'll find a quarterback uh, for this this past this 2020 recruiting class after the original commit JD Johnson out of Arizona he had he had medical issues he he had to retire from football so Michigan has scrambled at the last minute as I'm sure you're aware they were chasing CJ Stroud for a while trying to get him but he didn't go to Ohio State Michigan has settled for for quarterback Dan Valari out of the state of New York um, he was a under the radar kid and I think he ended up being a three star quarterback um, but he didn't have a ton of offers there was mainly I think FCS Fordham and the, some some of the smaller schools in the Northeast Michigan found him and they brought him in. So he's, he's their quarterback from 2020 class, but I don't think there's an expectation that he's going to be that transformational figure. And, and, and in fact, I mean, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up playing a different position in a couple of years, whether it's tight end or some other spot. He's a big kid too. 
All right, let's touch on offensive line because we know that had been an issue at times for Michigan. But Ed Warner, who doesn't like me, is a very good offensive line coach. Nobody disputes that, Ed, if you're listening, you are a good offensive line coach. But as you mentioned, Aaron, four starters gone. Jalen Mayfield at tackle is is like a kind of a big-time NFL draft prospect, as I guess the most experienced guy. But I think we've known, you've saw it firsthand, there were some times in past years where it was like, well, what's Michigan's problem? Well, their offensive line is just non-functional, and that's screwing everything up. They have come a long way, it feels like, with Ed Warner, but with losing so many guys, could this be a real problem for them in 2020? It, it could, it could, and especially when it comes to the pass protection. Uh, you, know, J- you mentioned Jalen Mayfield. I, I think he's going to be fine. He's He's got a lot of upside. Um, he, I thought he played pretty well last year, especially in the big games. If you go back and watch the Ohio State tape, I thought he well, – Ohio State game last year, I thought he held his own pr- pr- pretty well. I mean, obviously, Michigan did some things to help him and, and whatnot, but he, he did a really good job. The, the question is going to come, obviously, on the inside and on the, on the left side. Um, you know, um, Jalen Mayfield is, is penciled in to start right tackle. Uh, Michigan likes uh, a kid by the name of Ryan Hayes. He's a red, he'll be a redshirt sophomore, uh, converted tight end. Uh, and again, another big, tall, athletic kid. He played basketball in high school. Ed Warner has done a very good job the last couple of years of recruiting those tall, more athletic um, offensive linemen. Uh, they're, they're trying to play a certain way or, or you know, bring in a different type of kid than they did in the past, and they're certainly doing it. Now they've they got to translate it to the, their, their offensive system and their scheme uh, and, and get some of these guys experience. So that's going to be the issue. I mentioned Ryan Hayes will probably be a start at left tackle. There's some question marks at guard. I mean, there's there's several guys there that, that could go. Um, you know, Chuck Filiaga is a guy. He's redshirt junior. He's been in the program several years now. Ed Warner's made no bones about saying that it's his time. To, it's his time to stand up and, and figure it out. He's got to um, get himself into in, into playing shape and and be be a uh, you know a, a candidate there. Um, Joe Holland Ford's another guy that's come up. He could probably play uh, tackle or guard. Andrew Stuber. Um, he was in a competition uh, with with Jim Mayfield going into the 2019 season last year at right tackle. It was down to him and Mayfield. So the Michigan would like Stuart problem is he tore his ACL. Uh, it sounds like he's healthier. He's, he's on his way to being 100%. So they, they think he'll be able, uh, able to play. Um, but I, I suspect that if he, if he is healthy and he's the same player, or close to being the same guy as he was a couple of years ago, they're going to try him at guard inside. Um, but then they got, again, they got another a glut of guys, uh, inexperienced guys up in the middle. I count one, two, three, four, uh, 12, or me, 11, either redshirt freshmen or freshmen in the roster. Uh, so they got a lot of guys on there that have, have played very little to none. That And then and the onus come, you know, obviously comes on, on Ed Warren, it's development. Now, he's done a pretty good job of developing guys. Um, he's done a really good job of Jalen Mayfield. He's brought um, – brought Stuber along. He brought Ryan Hayes along. He's going to have to do his, he's going to do, have to do a lot of work. I, I do think not having the spring really hurt them here. And I think, you know, Ed acknowledged that um, he hit you know, over the last couple of months that they really needed spring. So that, that's going to hurt Michigan in that regard. Um, he, they do like, they, they do think they'll be okay. As I mentioned earlier, they, they like that. They think they'll be okay in the run game. Uh, they, Michigan brings back several running backs with experience. And they have Chris Evans back, who I think could be a, a game changer, especially in Josh Gass's offense. Um, but again, the pass, the, the passing game is a question mark. A, they don't know who the quarterback's going to be, and which, which, and, and, and which quarterback is going to depend on, you know, what, what type of, you know, system they run. I mean, as I mentioned, if they have Joe Milton back there, he, he doesn't have a ton of speed, so I, I don't think they'll go with the RPO a ton. Um, they're going to have to, when he drops back to pass, they're going to have to hold up, and it's the question mark will be whether they can do that or not. And if they can't, I, I think Michigan's going to struggle up that, that area. 
All right, a question uh, about the skill guys from the 614. I do feel like that in recent years, Ohio State fans have respected um, the potential of the Michigan skill guys because there's always maybe there's, if there's not a, exactly a standout, there's always a bunch of interesting options. It feels like at receiver and often at running back. And like when you mentioned Donovan Peoples Jones earlier, and I think Aaron actually, I talked to you about this at the draft because the Browns drafted Donovan Peoples Jones, and the whole thing around Donovan Peoples Jones was like, hey, he's a sixth round pick, but he's a lot better than this. He just got screwed up at Michigan and wasn't developed. And everyone thinks the Browns got some great steal because it feels like it was a talented guy that did not reach his potential at Michigan. But there are interesting guys that run through there from the 614. How could Michigan's offense exploit the Ohio State defense this year with a talented running back? They mentioned Jack, Zach Charbonnet. Also, as you said, Chris Evans is back. Some receivers like Nico Collins and Ronnie Bell. You've got a tight end in Eubanks. Does this year's game become an offensive shootout? Again, there's just some names you throw in there. There's always a couple receivers to talk about. Am I saying Charbonnet's last name right, or is it? You got it. Yep, you got it. It's a little French. I'm a little French. Yeah. He's a top 50 national recruit from California in the class of 2019 um, at running back. So that's pretty good. Chris Evans, as you mentioned, is coming off a year-long suspension. I don't know. I mean, there's some names in there. Are, are these skill guys that, again, if the quarterback situation gets figured out, uh, you know, you got to block them. You got to give the quarterback some time. But th- is there enough talent at the skill spots for Michigan to do a little something offensively? I do. I do. I, I think they're going to surprise some folks. They got they got a couple of speedy slot guys that Josh Gaddis, since he's come on, he's he's really gone after to recruit. I mean, they're they're clearly Michigan's offense is clearly trying to recruit a certain type of player now, whether it's especially receiver. They're going for the shorter, speedier slot guys that can kind of, you know, uh, break off a route and beat a defensive back. You know, before it was more of those traditional outside guys. You mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones. Nico uh, Nico Collins is another example of that. Uh, Michigan kind of, you know, just a couple years ago, they changed that. They started recruiting Ronnie, Ronnie Bell, for instance. He was another under-the-radar under the type of receiver. Um, he was more, he was, again, he was a basketball guy. He was recruit, I think he was committed to play basketball in college. Michigan came along. He was a three-star, if that, um, recruit. Michigan offered him, and he came here, and he's, he's kind of changed the way they, they play. They throw the football. I mean, he's, he's more of a slot guy, but since, but since Gas has come here, they, they've been able to recruit Giles Jackson. Um, Cornelius Johnson, while he's, a, he's an outside post guy, he, he can still get in the slot. He's, he's kind of a um, smaller guy. And then the two in, more interesting names here, I think. Mike Sandra still, I mentioned Giles Jackson earlier, and then A.J. Henning is a true freshman, Gatorade player of the year of the state of Illinois, borderline five-star guy. Um, you know, Gaddis has made a point, as I mentioned, of recruiting these smaller guys that I think what they, Michigan has looked at, whether it's, it's Ohio State's defense, Penn State's defense, areas where they can um, – gain ground there that in the past Michigan's you know receivers um they, they it was clear that they could make the big play especially in the big games you never got that down the field threats against Ohio State where they could make, pick up that those 40 50 yard chunk plays and I, I think with with Gaddis's speed and space you know spread offense they, they they think they can um I look I'm expecting a big season from Giles Jackson um and, and Mike Sandra still they both got their feet wet last year on special teams. Both played a little bit of receiver, um, and then and then AJ Henning I think is going to get a lot of playing time. Michigan only has seven scholarship receivers this year. I expect them to try to use most of them. Uh, and knowing Gaddis's work as a receivers coach, you know his previous stops, um, I think he's going to try to get them more involved this year than ever before. 
I'll tell you what I've all, I always talk about that. People on this podcast know that I'm, I've been obsessed with Rondale Moore. And it's like, you look mm-hmm. what that guy did. You look at what KJ Hamler did in the big 10 and did against Ohio state at times. Again, that is uh, sometimes, you know, some of those under recruited guys who are little and fast and you just get a mismatch. Um, I like the idea of trying to do that, that if it's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, you know, maybe we're not going to match you with, uh, a recruit who is as big and as fast and as physical and as strong, but here we're going to throw in a little bit of a wrinkle guy. I think that's a smart way to go. Um, before we let you go, Aaron, big picture stuff one more time to bring it back around. We know after the win, when after Ohio State's win against Michigan last year, Justin Fields made a comment that he just he thinks Ohio State takes the rivalry more seriously than Michigan. Listen, you know, Justin Fields just got here from Georgia. It's not like he's steeped in the rivalry, but he has friends. You know, you talk to people. I don't know that anybody would argue that, but that has been, again, a recurring theme uh, for our listeners and our tech subscribers on this podcast. You know, does is, is the approach to the game, should Harbaugh do anything in, in, in changing how he talks to his team about this game or how he emphasizes it or de-emphasizes it from the 317 have Justin Fields comments about Michigan not taking the rivalry as seriously caused any changes within the Michigan program is there anything that you feel like Jim Harbaugh has done in regards to sort of like the mental and emotional approach to the Ohio State game or is there nothing there to do and you just try to practice hard and go out and try to win I, I don't think it's changed much. Internally, you know, Michigan, well, I, I guess externally, Michigan has said that they, they, they take it seriously, they prepare for it and whatnot. But internally, I, I don't think um, the attention is, is, is as deep as Ohio State takes it. And whether that's the right way to take it or not, I don't know. But I, I do think that's a symptom of Michigan's struggles against Ohio State. I, I think when, you get, when you're beaten down this many times, to place an a extra emphasis on that game at the end of the year, um, only to be beaten again, I, I think would be uh, would 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 bring it. You know, a ne- it'd, be, it'd be a lot. It'd be like saying it'd be like setting up and saying you know putting all your marbles in one basket and and losing them every time, and it just it just wouldn't work out. So I think Jim Jim has realized that they they can't beat well, since they haven't been able to beat them. He doesn't want to you know raise expectations. And I think that's been the, the the mindset from at least you know the last couple of years when he when he first got in here. You know, he was. He's a little more rah-rah as we've all as we've all seen, and he he's certainly toned down his rhetoric the last couple of years. And I think part of that has been him him being humbled and the Michigan program being humbled by Ohio State. And I think that's going to continue. I, I don't forecast him that, that changing much. There hasn't been a much there hasn't been much smack talk with Ohio State. And like I said earlier, I, I think I do think Michigan State takes or excuse me, Michigan takes the Michigan State rivalry a little bit more seriously. It almost seems like game weeks. Uh, we hear more chitter chat from the Michigan players. Um, with Michigan State as opposed to Ohio State. And again, I think that just goes back to results. They can't win on the field, so you probably shouldn't be talking in public. Aaron McMahon, if our people want to make sure they're keeping up with uh, Ohio State's big rival, how can people read you and follow you? Yeah, we're at, uh, we're at mlive.com slash Wolverines. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at Aaron McMahon, two A's, and then McMahon is M-C-M-A-N-N. Uh, we've also got our own text subscribers service. I'm, I'm sure how many of your, uh, your listeners would want to sign up, but you can. Uh, I think we offer we're a 60-day free trial at this point. Uh, you can sign up by texting 734-215-6605. That will be fat. 60-day free trial, you said? Yeah, we're up to 60 days. Wow. The thing is, we, we launched it right before the pandemic hit, so it's yeah. like, it was the worst bad timing. But, yeah. 
Well, let's see if we let's see if you get a boost from Ohio State fans who want to take maybe a two month free peek at what's going on at Michigan. And then you know what? I I always say you've got to know the enemy. I mean, if you're a diehard Ohio State fan, it is not a bad idea to spend a couple bucks a month to keep up with what's going on with Michigan. So now you can subscribe to our Ohio Tech, our Ohio State Tech Service and the Michigan Tech Service. Actually, Aaron, we probably because people I on the Again, Aaron is part of the advanced brotherhood. We're all part of the same company here. Um, maybe we should talk to our bosses, Aaron, about some kind of combined texture right. where if you get the Ohio I'll, State and the Michigan one, you get a discount. I'm good with that. All right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> let me call the bosses and see what we can wrangle. Um, all right, Aaron, listen, I know you got a lot going on. Uh, so we greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day. Uh, and thanks for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Yeah, no problem, Doug. Thanks for having me. All right, we will be back right after this break. Me, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means doing some lightning round Ohio State, Michigan questions from our tech subscribers. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, so we're going to take your rapid fire Ohio State, Michigan questions. We've been doing the rapid fire, but we asked this time our tech subscribers, Michigan, Ohio State only. We've done a lot of Michigan Really good, interesting Michigan podcast. So basically, you know, what happens is that we run out of ideas. And then we frame it as like, hey, we want you guys to be involved. And it's actually like, please do our work. We can't think of anything else. But we've done so many little Michigan things. When will Michigan next win? When might Ohio State take the lead in the series? We've, we've talked a lot about Harbaugh this offseason. So we have 12 really good questions from the tech subscribers, which is how we're going to uh, do our part of this Ohio State Michigan preview. And we'll start with something that we have talked about on a previous podcast. And that's the idea of when should this game be scheduled? How, how should this game be thought of in a world where the big Ten's only playing conference games this year? And so I asked the tech subscribers, do you think that the game should be played Early in the schedule, like schedule it as early as possible to get it in. Like, so if Ohio State only plays one or two games, then this is Ohio State, Michigan is one or two of them. Or do you keep it at the end of the regular season? And if you don't get there and it's canceled, so be it. Um, I will say we have this answer, one answer from Marlin from the 734. I think it's a huge advantage for Ohio State if the Michigan game is moved up, what say you? And Fox didn't pay hundreds of millions of dollars to not televise that game. So I think it's entirely possible that game has moved up and I'm a hundred percent here for it. So that's Marlon from the seven, three, four, Nathan, we talked about this a lot before. I was certainly in favor of keeping it at the end of the year, as was Steven, you, you were advocating more for, and then you wrote about it. You were advocating more for the idea of let, let's schedule it early and make sure you get it in. What about the TV angle, Nathan? Is that something that you think, Fox, if you were a Fox exec, would you be pounding the table? That's the number one game on the conference schedule every year. Fox has the first pick in the Big Ten's TV deal. They pick Ohio State, Michigan. If you were a Fox exec, would you want it moved up? I would probably exert some influence. Um, I, I mean, because, again, wouldn't you rather ensure that the game is going to be played rather than wait? I don't know from a from a TV standpoint, I think moving that game up I don't know that it really like ruins the the potential for ratings or whatever. In fact, it may even enhance them this year, given the circumstances. And I think the, the, the texture is right. I think Marlon's right. Like I, you know, they, they paid for this opportunity 
And this is the way to ensure that the game even happens at all is to, to get them to move it up early in the season. I, I think if I were Fox, plus you got to remember, you know, Fox, Big Ten Network, there's all a bunch of tie-ins there. There's already been some lost television opportunities because of the non-conference games that were canceled. And I don't know, I assume that the Big Ten's broadcast partners were advised of that decision before it was made. Um, although a lot of those games are more BTN games because of, you know, the Bowling Green game, the the Buffalo games, those kind of games are, are not going to be on Fox proper very often or ESPN or those sorts of things. But, you know, this is one way to kind of throw a bone to some of those people, those, those broadcast organizations who lost some other revenue by having some of these other better non-conference games lopped off. I will say the one thing Fox doesn't care about is tradition. They don't care about the tradition of the rivalry, or if they care no. about it, it's certainly not their first priority, which is why eventually I think this game will move tonight because Fox will mm-hmm. want it there or, or ESPN or somebody will, ABC will want it there and it'll probably move someday. Traditionally, that's not what you'd pick. Steven, the aspect of an advantage, let's say it is played early in the year. Traditionally, right late in the year, it's like, okay, well, these teams, maybe they're worn down, but also they're finding their groove. By the end of the year, you have a sense of who Ohio State and Michigan are. These are these true teams. You figure they give each other their best shot. Marlon's idea that Ohio State would have a huge edge if it's played early, do you agree with that? I do, and it starts at quarterback. No matter what, Justin Fields is going to have more in-game experience and whoever Michigan's starting quarterback is this this year, whether it's Dylan McCaffrey or anybody else. But at least if it's played at the end of the season, that quarterback will have a full slate of games to rely on and experience. And like you just said, you know, things would probably be rolling a little bit. Let's say this is the third game of the season. Well, we already know what Justin Fields brings to the table, and that other quarterback, whoever it is, will only have two games of experience. So that's where it starts, right there. With Justin Fields is already the better quarterback, and now he's the more experienced quarterback by a wide margin over whoever it is from Michigan. So when we had Phil Steele on last week, he said he thought that, that Michigan's window to win this game was last year. Uh, and it, he's not exactly sure now when Michigan's going to win it again. We've had Brett Siancia on from Pick 6 Previews and looking at – I don't have Phil's magazine in front of me yet, um, but looking at Brett's Pick 6 Previews magazine, his Big Ten unit rankings – He has Ohio State with the number one quarterback and the number one offensive line. He has Michigan with the number eight quarterback and the number six offensive line. And I think, again, almost everything we've analyzed is when you when you take away reps and you take away practice and when you're doing things early in the year, veteran quarterback, veteran offensive line is a thing you would lean on. So I think it's hard to dispute the idea of Marlon's case that Ohio State's just going to hit the ground running, maybe better than any program in the country. Um, and that, you know, Michigan, it might be Dylan McCaffrey, and we talked about it with Aaron, you know, might be Dylan McCaffrey, might be Joe Milton, who knows, but it's not Justin Fields. I know that. It's not Justin Fields. So I think that is an, an interesting point brought up, and I think, I think I probably agree too. Let's do this, though. The poll that we sent out, here's how I phrased it. it well, you don't care about the actual phrasing, but it's like, when should you play the game? The choices were this. Make it the last game of the regular season. If it's canceled, so be it. Make it as early as possible to increase the chances of playing it. Or there's no good answer. It's too sad to even think about. So I will say that 22% of the respondents that just thought it was too sad. And I think it's a – these tech subscribers are paying money to do this. I'm not going to make them ponder the rock and the hard place if they're not in the mood to ponder it. 
right? It's all, everything's already screwed up. So if you just didn't want to think about it, 22% said that. So there's 78% to work with. Nathan, your guess, which side won? Was it keep it at the end of the regular season or was it schedule it early in the season? Which side won? I saw some of the early responses and they seemed to be pretty overwhelmingly in favor of keep it at the end of the season. Steven, what, what would your guess be or what would you expect from the fan base? I would expect keep it at the end of the season, just tradition. I will say keep it at the end of the season one, but not by that much. <laughs> Final breakdown was 43% end of the season, 35% as early as possible, 22% too sad. So that was closer than I thought it would be. Is that closer than you guys thought it would be? Yeah. I, yeah. I, just, again, based I saw some of the early responses, I thought it was trending more towards being kind of a landslide. I, th I thought it might be more like, yeah. you know, if we're taking out 22%, the rest of the 78% might be like 50% to 28% or even 60% to 18%. Just like yeah. I don't like change with the game. I don't want it at night. I don't want – you know, I, I want it in the early afternoon. Um, I don't, you know, when when you talk about it in a normal season, I don't want it moved off the last weekend. But I did think it was interesting, you know, 35% of the, the – or at least open to the idea of it's a wacky year. You know, I'm open to it. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and again, I think it's – that's the important distinction here is that we're talking about a one-time thing. It's it's not to set precedent, and I don't think it would be used to set any kind of precedent. I think that would be – I would be against that. I think that would be kind of a travesty. But under the current circumstances, I think it's just the most prudent decision. All right, rapid fire on the rest of these Ohio State-Michigan questions. From the 614, I would be um, – okay, here's a question. I started out – what is the next Michigan team that beats Ohio State going to look like? What is it going to take for Michigan to beat Ohio State? An elite quarterback, a new coach, a new look offense. The next time Michigan beats the Buckeyes, some may say it never happens. What will Michigan look like and what made them good enough to beat Ohio State? So, Stephen, we've, we've talked a lot about the when. When will it happen? This is the what. This is the how will it look. What will Michigan be like? What are the key components to a Michigan team that beats Ohio State? Elite quarterback and a revamped offense. That's been part of the problem the last two years is Michigan's actually scored a little bit on Ohio State. Even this past season, they put up a little bit of points, but they weren't able to keep up scoring with Ohio State. And the way Ohio State's offense is run now under Ryan Day, they're going to put up points. So you've got to be able to keep up scoring with them and get key stops. And right now they haven't been able to do that. So it starts with a revamped offense, and that's led by an elite-level quarterback. They had a five-star quarterback in Shea Patterson, but he obviously didn't pan out to be – a guy who was once the number four player in the country, number quarterback country in the country, number one quarterback in the country. So those are the two main components there are elite quarterback play and an offense who has the ability to put up points. Nathan, if, if, if you're answering this, are you starting more on the offensive side of the ball? Are you starting more on the defensive side of the ball? Or are you starting with the coach? I'm starting more on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we're, we'll talk about the coach a little bit more later on. I don't really think that that's the problem in a lot of ways right now. Um, I, but I do think they have to go find better talent. They have to go find major offensive talent that can keep up with what Ohio State's doing. I mean, that's what's been – they're going to have to outscore them. 
at some point they're going to have to go out and, and outscore them because I don't think they're ever going to find a defense that locks Ohio State down and, and, and shuts them down, at least not in the near future. So we have a couple more questions. I'm going to bring in the, the third question because it ties into it. From the 216, it seems that the main problem with Michigan the last two years has been an inability for their defense to deal with the speed of Ohio State skill players. With the skill players of Ohio State only getting better and Michigan recruiting not really picking up at all, does Michigan need to score at least 40 points to have a reasonable shot at beating Ohio State any time in the next three, four years? It sounds like both your answers are leaning toward a yes on that, right? Is that Would your answer to question three then, Nathan, be yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Michigan's going to have to put up points to ever break through in this series. They're going to have to, um, again, I, they're not going to win one of these games 24 to 21. I don't think to break this slump. I think they're going to have to go out and it's going to be a, a big time game. It's going to be, you know, like what LSU and Alabama had last year. How did LSU get past Alabama? They finally had a team that was going to just put up so many points that Alabama couldn't fully answer all of that. I think that's what's going to take for Michigan at some point. And I think it may happen. I mean, now, actually, I will say this. The one caveat is a year from now uh, because Ohio State's not going to maybe have kind of the same firepower um, in 2021. That might be the year up in Ann Arbor where Michigan wouldn't have to score like 50 some points, 40 high forties to win that game. But other than that, that might, that's the only game on the horizon where I see that not being the way Michigan would have to win that game. And so your answer is yes to that. Steven also got to score at least 40. 100%. Yes. So I will say, I mean, I think that the model and it, it's like when you look for a model, you've got to go back like to a game that Michigan didn't win because you can't really go back to what they won. 2013. Yep, that's what I was going to bring up. 42-41. Ohio State wins. Michigan goes for two after their last touchdown and doesn't make it. Michigan in that game scored touchdowns on its final three drives. Every time they needed to march down the field and score, they did. They came back from two scores down. Devin Gardner in that game, the quarterback, 32 of 45 for 451 and four touchdowns. Their top two running backs combined for 19 carries for 108 yards. They outgained Ohio State 603 to 526. And that year, that was not what Michigan's offense looked like all year. And then they, they had like a perfect game. And listen, Devin Gardner is not an NFL quarterback. You know, they had a couple, they had a couple guys on that team. Jake Butt was on that team. He's a good, he's a, he was an NFL player. The running backs weren't NFL players, so it wasn't that they had, you know, NFL dudes lighting it up, but they had a great plan that day, and their Devin Gardner played great, and they did try to win a shootout. Now, that was back when Ohio State didn't throw it. Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde ran all over Michigan that day, but, but Devin Gardner had like 300 more passing yards than Braxton Miller that day. So that, to me, is what it feels like it would have to look like. And I'm in agreement with you guys. And I do think to me, it has to be that when the Ohio state offense leaves the field and the Michigan offense comes on the field, there's not that much drop at the skill positions. And I think maybe it's possible that's coming. JJ McCarthy in the 2021 class, as we know, Ohio state picked Kyle McCord. JJ McCarthy was kind of mad, but they're both five-star quarterbacks. Michigan has a five-star quarterback. Ohio State has a five-star quarterback in 2021. Ohio State has two great running backs lined up in 2021. But Michigan, this Donovan Edwards guy from Michigan, who Ohio State looked at for a little bit, he's the number three running back prospect in the country. He's the number 35 overall player in the country. He's from Michigan, and every crystal ball in the world has him to Michigan at the moment. So if in the same class they have a top 20 player at quarterback and a top 40 player at running back, 
they have a couple dudes on the roster right now. They have some receivers in the last recruiting class that were there. Like Steven, it feels like if what we're saying is their offense has to be able to run with the Buckeyes, it feels like they're maybe at least getting some recruits that might give them them a chance to do that in the next two or three years. Do you, do you maybe see that coming? Yeah, the talent's coming. I mean, number seven class in the country in 2021, obviously the only Big Ten school with a better recruiting class is Ohio State. Then the next step is the quarterback development. J.J. McCarthy, number 18 player, number two pro-style quarterback, a five-star guy. Well, Shane Patterson was also a five-star guy. And, you know, whether it was Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields, there was a drop-off in talent level from what Ohio State had at quarterback to what Michigan had at quarterback. So, yes, step one, bring in the talent, and they look like they're doing that. Now can you develop the guy who's got to get the ball to all this talent in in J.J. McCarthy? I I will say – Ryan Day couldn't have made Shea Patterson look like Justin Fields or Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins. That was just that was just a misfire. That that guy yeah. wasn't what you thought he was as a recruit. He was kind of caught in between. It's like he's half Trace McSorley, but not really Trace McSorley. And he's yeah. like kind of a little bit like JT Barrett, but not really JT Barrett. He wasn't as good as either of those guys like that. And then he's not going to sling it like Fields or Haskins is going to sling it. So I think Jim Harbaugh has failed in a lot of ways as a quarterback developer since he got there. And we'll get into that a little bit more. I, and, you know, Patterson was an old miss for two years. I don't hang that all on like Michigan's failure. It just kind of was like a wrong fit. So um, that I, I'm not going to give up on the ability of Michigan to develop JJ McCarthy because of Shea Patterson. But they also really haven't done it yet. His Harbaugh's best quarterback so far has been Jake Rudock, who was an Iowa transfer. So they haven't really done it. Um, but I, it feels like maybe, maybe they're getting some of these skill guys in order. And we'll talk more. We have some more Harbaugh scheme. We have more recruiting stuff coming. So I want to get off this for now. This is, again, related to it. Question four from the 614. If Ohio State scores 40 or more again, does Michigan look to move on from Don Brown? Don Brown has been a hugely important part of what Jim Harbaugh has done at Michigan as the defensive coordinator. Nathan, like, does that, does any part of that make sense to you that, all right, Ryan Day did it to you again, Donnie boy, you were coaching, you were assistant coaches together at Boston college. Ryan Day has your number. And like, that's it. We've got to make a change because Michigan can't stop Ohio state. But is it a scheme that's keeping Michigan from stopping Ohio State, or is it just Ohio State's players are that much better? In 2018, you know. it was definitely scheme. They played man the whole game, and they ran cross. So Ryan Day ran crossing routes all night, all day, and got 62 points. Okay, that's one example, but I don't know that that's again. I don't know that's annually the problem here. And again, as we've talked before on this podcast, I, I don't really think that Michigan, maybe for reasons of self-preservation, looks at measures itself against Ohio State the same way. I, you know what I mean? Like we talked about that with Harbaugh, that maybe if you make that series, if you make the series about a kind of a referendum on the job you're doing, you're going to come up short right now at Michigan. So I don't – I think they, they just chalk it up to, hey, we're, we're happy to be playing Ohio State at a, a stretch of like their maximum um, ability where, where Ohio State's really just kind of blowing the doors off the place. And um, I don't think this. I don't think one game. If Michigan is is winning regularly, other than Ohio State, I don't know that that result of just the Ohio State game, even another lopsided result, is going to result in Brown getting pushed out. I looked at the Football Outsiders website again. Their college football efficiency models 
Uh, Michigan's defensive efficiency, Harbaugh's five years, uh, starting with the first year to the most recent year. They're 16th in the nation, 5th, 8th, 17th, 14th. And basically coming into 18, I, I mean, I think people were making the argument that Michigan was the best defensive team in the country. And then Ohio mm-hmm. State lit them up like that. What we're talking about here with like, hey, you've, you've probably got to outscore them. You're probably not going to stop them. I guess would lead us to like, well, like firing someone who is 11 weeks out of the year, a pretty good defensive coordinator doesn't exactly sound like the right solution to me. What do you think, Steven? No, just because it's the, the defense is, I'm not going to say the defense is not the problem. 62 points and 56 points are not, that's a lot of points, but because of what needs to improve for Michigan in order to compete in this game, I don't think so. I think Don Brown is fine. As long, like I said, he just needs to get key stops at key moments because the offense is doing so well that it's keeping up scoring. I mean, we look at it through the Ohio State lens, you know, Michigan not measuring up to Ohio State in so many ways. But really, you could, based on where the stature of the program is right now, you could also ask if Ohio State puts up X number of points on Iowa, should they fire their defensive coordinator or Wisconsin or um, someone else? I mean, that's, that's the, there's still just that kind of gap between Ohio State and Michigan are. I'm not saying it should be that way, but I don't think firing a coordinator is what closes that gap. So I will say again, to reference that 2013 game, that that Michigan offense um, did not look like that the rest of the the season. That Michigan offense, uh, for instance, coming into that Ohio State game had scored six in a loss to Michigan State, 13 in a loss to Nebraska, 27 in a win over Northwestern, but it was triple overtime and 21 in a loss to Iowa. So like that team was a mess. They couldn't move the ball at all, but Al Borges, the offensive coordinator, and this was again, pre Harbaugh came up with something that day. And it was like, who is this? And on one hand, when a team does that, it makes me kind of say, well, why in God's name weren't you doing this the other 11 weeks? What were you doing? Why were you saving this? Where was Devin Gardner's 400-yard passing games the rest of the year? On the other hand, it's like, man, much respect for somebody dialing it up for the game that matters most. So I think the thing that I think is fair, I don't think firing, moving on from Don Brown does not feel like the answer to me because I think he's good at his job. I do think it's fair for Jim Harbaugh to send the message to Don Brown. And I think Ryan Day may have already sent this message to Don Brown that what you do every other week, even if it looks good, is not good enough against Ohio State. So I know you have principles. I know you have a way you want to do this. It's not good enough. You can't do the same thing. So you're smart. You've been around forever. You've seen other stuff. Have a plan for the first 11 weeks, and then have a plan for stopping or at least slowing down Ohio State. And I do think sometimes if Jim Harbaugh told Don Brown, listen, man, what you're doing is not good enough. you got to change it up for the Buckeyes. And if Don Brown said, nope, this is what I do, this is who I am, then you do have to move on. Then I think that would be fair. Because at some point, you've got to win that game. Right. But I don't think Don Brown would do that. And so I do think Don Brown, as good as he's been and as long as he's done it, has got to be flexible. And he better bring something for Ryan Day, because from what we've seen so far from Ryan Day, he certainly has been bringing something for Don Brown. Question five. This is from our friend Zach. 
from the South Stands podcast. That's an Ohio State podcast, as I, I visited with uh, with Zach and the guys a couple couple weeks ago. Are we witnessing the death rattle of what was once a great rivalry? And is Ohio State's dominance over Michigan now the natural order of things? So I think the thing that I think is interesting about this, because it's a version of a question that we've talked about a million times. Do you think a rivalry can die? Nathan, do you think a rivalry can die? I think a rivalry can die. I don't think this rivalry can die. I don't think in some ways, as much as Ohio State's been dominating it, they haven't really let their foot off the gas in terms of the emphasis that they put on this game and how much space it occupies in their minds 365 days a year just inside the program. So I don't think Ohio State's going to let it die. And I also think uh, it's it's a good question. It's a fair question. I don't – it shouldn't be the natural order of things, and I don't think it's going to be this way forever. As we talked before uh, when we were trying to predict on, on Market Down Monday when Michigan would win again or when, when, when Ohio State will pass Michigan in the series, I, it, it just does it, – it's inconceivable to me that this winning streak will just extend into perpetuity. I think it could end as early as next season, but at some point, these teams are going to come a little bit closer together. I'm not saying they're going to be even every year, but at some point Michigan's going to be able to jump back up and get one at least every once in a while. So I, I, I don't think this is – I'm not quite ready to go to a, a place where these two teams have settled into permanent positions on different tiers of the college football landscape. Can you – can a rivalry die, Stephen? I don't think this type of rivalry can die, no. Now, there are like air rivalries where you just both are at a certain level, so you play each other a lot. And that was, but I don't think rivalries like this where it's embedded into the culture of the two schools can die. I just think Michigan had its time when it was dominating the rivalry. And right now, Ohio State's having its moment where it's dominating the rivalry. How many rivalries are legitimately every other year a different person is winning? You know, So it's just Ohio State's time right now. So I think that there's one of the other things about this that I think is, is an interesting way to look at rivalries is there's the rivalry to the people involved in the rivalry, right? Michigan fans, Ohio State fans, media who cover it, Big Ten people. And then there's how the rivalry is perceived by everybody else. So I do, I guess I agree with the idea that like Ohio State fans are never going to stop caring about Michigan. And Michigan fans probably don't care quite as much about Ohio State, but they'll still always care. I do think it could die in maybe the idea that nobody else will care. And that if you tell somebody, if it stays like this, and if it just is clear that like they're on separate levels, Ohio State is on this level of college football and Michigan's on a separate level and they're not equals and there's very little doubt about what's going to happen. I don't know that if you told a really hardcore college football fan in Louisiana or Idaho or Massachusetts or California, hey, Ohio State, Michigan's on. I think it could get to the point that people are like, I don't care. Now, it's a regional sport anyway. It's a regional sport anyway. But to me, like, you know, I my ears go up a little bit about Auburn, Alabama. My ears go up about Oklahoma, Texas. And I was trying to find, like, a dead rivalry and Stephen, like it actually, it's it, we probably should do a rivalry investigation. I'll put that down next to my list for things we may end up oh, doing. Yeah. yeah, that's actually. I was trying to find like what's a rivalry that stinks, 
And the problem is, well, like, what's a rivalry that used to be really good and now stinks? And that, I haven't done all the deep dives on that. But, for instance. USC Notre Dame? I didn't look up that one. Did you look up that one? I don't know what the – I don't know, like, but I don't know what the recent it just popped history in my head. that is. Yeah, because yeah. both – I mean, Notre Dame's not always good and USC's not good at all right now, so. It hasn't been – but, like, USC was good, like, four years ago. I still – my yeah. ears would go up about USC-Notre Dame, personally, still. If you told me USC-Notre Dame was on, I'd be like, oh, probably I'll watch that. Yeah. Okay, so one I found – and this isn't very good, but like Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. That's an in-state rivalry. It's not Oklahoma's first rivalry because Oklahoma's first rivalry is Texas, and they once upon a time had a rivalry with Nebraska. But I would imagine people in Oklahoma, I would guess, probably care about Oklahoma-Oklahoma State a lot, right? That series is 89, 18, and 7. So it's never been competitive. Oklahoma, I mean, Oklahoma State since 1946 has won 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Oklahoma State's won 10 times in the last 75 years. <laughs> so, like, if you told me Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's on, Maybe people in Oklahoma are really fired up about that. I don't care. I don't care at all. Like, could it possibly get to that? That, like, you know what? Hey, Ohio State, Penn State's on. Ooh, that's good. I'll watch that. Hey, Ohio State, Wisconsin's on. Ooh, interesting. I'll watch that. Hey, Ohio State, Michigan's on. Eh. Eh. Like, guy in, guy, you know, woman in Kansas who likes college football, guy in Washington State who likes college football. Could you see that maybe, Nathan? I think it is fair to say that unless Michigan at some point, even if it's, even if it's fake, right? Like even if they're actually not that good, they need to get to week 12 in position to where it actually looks like they are on in that same neighborhood as Ohio state, at least once in a while. Um, because that I think is what you're talking about, right? That it's just, it's a game that people don't believe that it's a, it's a real competitive game anymore. So why, why bother to pay attention to it? I think at some point Michigan does have, and it hasn't been that far in the past that that's been the case, like where they've been one against two or two really highly ranked teams. And Michigan has typically been as much as we talk about them again, only in terms of the, the lens of this one game that Ohio state has just crushed them in the last two years. Michigan's still like a top 15 program. They're still not that far behind. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm contradicting myself, but I mean, they, at some point they do need to come up and at least make it a game, at least, at least threaten them. At least that'll, I think alone re, rejuvenate the rivalry a little bit. That's when it dies. I think is it to that, to Nathan's point, Michigan's still a top 15 program in the country. If Michigan just completely falls off the face of the earth, because I mean, Oklahoma has been making the college football playoff, and Oklahoma State's just not that good of a college football program. So yeah, they're, they're not on the same it. level. No, but they're that, not. On, they're they're close. Not even close. That's part of what can if what if Michigan just falls off the face the way that Oklahoma State has, then they, then it's probably dead. Because then there's no there's nothing to be excited about there. Steven, I would be surprised if that happened though. I, I don't think yeah, I don't really no, don't see a, Michigan uh, plummeting like that. Stephen, to your question, between 2002 and 2011, USC won nine of ten against yeah. Notre Dame, sort of in their heyday. And then from 2012 uh, to the present, Notre Dame's won six of the last eight. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, it's just been swinging back and forth. While... And it has swung a little bit. There was a stretch. I mean, you could. It, it is. It's almost like Ohio State, Michigan. You, you know, 
there's the Notre Dame stretch in the 80s. There was a USC stretch in the 70s. There was a Notre Dame stretch in the 50s. Um, so, but it's like we're waiting. We're waiting for it yeah. to swing back and to Michigan. This one, almost, this one almost seems louder because in the process of it becoming Ohio State's time, it's become one of the three best programs in the country. It really Michigan makes you still... think, I mean, I, it's possible it never swings back. Right? Isn't that possible, yeah. guys? That yes, Michigan's gonna win again, but it's possible that it never swings back and that when Michigan's going good, it's like, well, Michigan won like three in a decade. And Ohio State was only seven and three against Michigan that decade instead of nine and one or ten and zero. Oh. Is is that is that possible, Nathan? I guess it's possible. And we have another question coming up that I think we might want to expound on this a little bit more there. Okay. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? But I, 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 I will say that it's possible, um, but there are reasons why I don't think it's likely. All right, let's move on then. Number six, what will come first? This is from the 614. What will come first, a win for Michigan in the rivalry or a win for Michigan in the college football playoff? Again, that time, it was a year, one of the years recently I picked both Ohio State and Michigan to make the playoff. I think you have to extrapolate, again, how many teams are in the playoff when you think about this answer. But, Stephen, what did you come down on with this answer? Um, when in the rivalry, I think would almost have to – and it has to come first because I don't think Michigan would get into the college football playoff if it lost to Ohio State that year. Yeah, I think you've got to Especially, imagine an eight-team playoff. Yeah, it would have to go that. But, like, just how things are set up right now, it has to be the rivalry first. Now, if we go to eight-team playoffs, that changes things. But – as things stand right now, it has to be Michigan wins a game in the rivalry because one can't happen without the other. And I agree with that. And I think that if you start t- thinking about it in terms of an 18 playoff, it kind of changes the whole the whole context of the question because I think right now it, it, it's sort of framed it like, oh, maybe it's easier for Michigan to beat somebody else in the playoff than it is to beat Ohio State heads up right now. But once you start adding four more teams to that, that's not really the same issue anymore. Um, it, 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 it makes it a completely different kind of question. Now you're potentially playing someone a lot farther down the list as far as like the great teams in the country on any given year. So, but I agree that that's easier to beat another team other than Ohio state, other than maybe Clemson or Alabama. Well, it is. I mean, that's the thing. Like, is it easier? Is it easier to beat? Is it easier for Michigan to beat Wisconsin or yeah. Ohio state? Well, or Iowa or Ohio State. Like, it's it's easier for them to beat those other teams right now than it is to beat Ohio State. You can say that about most teams in the country. It's easier to beat Iowa or Wisconsin than it is to beat Ohio State. And I don't know if this is 100% true, but my instinct on this is when you start thinking about, well, I guess it doesn't have to be two teams in the playoff. I mean, it's just like, well, what if Michigan and just – see, here's the thing. It would have to be two – if your answer is they get a playoff win first – it has to be two teams. You're, you're saying the Big Ten right. got two teams in. Yeah. Because they right. lost to Ohio State. Ohio State got in. Like, undefeated Ohio State got in. And then one lost Michigan got in. Just like if we would have gone back to 2006, that would have happened. They're both undefeated. But there's a four-team playoff. Ohio State beats Michigan in the one-two matchup, the last game of the regular season. And then Michigan gets in the playoff, and, like, Michigan beats USC in the playoff or something. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about. I think in general, in the four-team playoff, the best way that you get two Big Ten teams in is for Ohio State to be the team that lost. Yep. That somebody beats Ohio State, absorbs all that Ohio State-ness. Ohio State still has enough on the resume with a good non-conference win or other good wins, and they're also Ohio State. So Ohio State gets in with one loss. 
And then now you're the undefeated Michigan team that beat Ohio State. Holy crap, you're in, right? So just the idea of like Michigan would have to be so good. Oh, my gosh. Michigan would have to be so good to lose to Ohio State and still get in that your answer has to be you expect to win against Ohio State first. Eighteen playoff changes it, though, which maybe we'll see this year. Next, this is another next what's going to happen. Question seven, who beats Ohio State first, Michigan or Michigan State with new coach Mel Tucker? Nathan, who do you have there? I'm still saying Michigan here. Again, they're the one that is recruiting at a higher level than Michigan State right now. I think Mel Tucker is going to do potentially some good things at Michigan State, but I think it's going to take a little while to get built back up. I mean, I wouldn't say they're even necessarily Michigan's level right now on an annual basis. So they've still got a bigger gap to go to beat Ohio state. Yeah. That's a team starting from basically square one with a new, you know, head guy in charge there while Michigan is, as we've already discussed, maybe one or two now large giant steps that they have to take to get there, but one or two steps away from pulling one of these games off. So I, I will say it's one of those things. It's like, when you are only – and what normally what we do here, all we do is, is talk about Michigan in the context of Ohio State. And in the context of Ohio State, Michigan constantly falls short, whether it's in recruiting, whether it's in wins on the field, whether it's in Ohio State stole their coaches, whether it's in coaching transition – like it just in every way, Ohio State's ahead of them, and not, I mean, a Michigan fan couldn't even dispute that. What you would do, the, the argument with Ohio State, Michigan is how big is the gap? Is the gap, you know, how big's your fish? Did you catch a six-inch fish or did you catch a, a two-foot-long fish? So it's all about Ohio State, Michigan fans. How far apart do you put your do you put your hands? It's not about who's ahead, but when you start comparing Michigan to other Big Ten programs with a question like this. Then you do realize, listen, man, Michigan's pretty good. That, like, I think Mel Tucker's a good coach. I think what Michigan State has done there has been what they've built under what they built under D'Antonio at its peak was like a really interesting thorn in the side to Ohio State. But Michigan should be and probably will be better and more positioned, at least for a while, to beat Ohio State. Just and I don't know where to squeeze this in, but just as a little quick reminder, like talking about recruiting, the 19, 20, and 21 recruiting classes. Just a little comparison because you know these are the guys that are going to make the difference over the next two or three years. 19, 20, 21. Michigan had five top 100 players total in those classes. Ohio State had 22, and we're still finishing the 21 class. And Ohio State will add a couple more top 100 guys. So that 22 to five, that's pretty stark. When you expand it to top 250 national players in those three recruiting classes, Ohio State's edge shrinks to 36-26. So Michigan is not getting it done. We talked about J.J. McCarthy and the chance of Donovan Edwards and some of these top, top shelf guys, and they've got to get more five stars. They've got to sprinkle in some five stars to compete with Ohio State. But when you do talk about, like, depth of talent, I mean, Michigan does a lot of – the 213th best player in the country, the 311th best player in the country, the 271st best player in the country. They get a lot of guys like that, and that sort of pales in comparison to Ohio State when Ohio State has 11 top 100 kids. But compared to almost everybody else in the Big Ten, it's really good. 
So it's just hard for me to go almost anywhere else on a question like this, because I think when you only talk about Michigan through scarlet color glasses, you can get a skewed view sometimes because in the end, they are still quite good. So I think it's definitely Michigan. Question eight from the 803. Michigan recruiting seems to have shifted its approach to more speed-based players as a direct result of Ohio State running them out of the stadium. Do you think this is a good approach? Personally, with where they are located and with the non-built-in advantages that Ohio State has, they should strive to be a better version of Wisconsin in style and approach if they really want to be successful long-term. That's Bake of the 803. And I'm going to couple this slightly with the ninth question, which is about the Jim Harbaugh coaching philosophy, philosophy from the 216. Are Jim Harbaugh's offensive and defensive philosophies too outdated for the modern game? Was he ever a good coach or did he fall up in the coaching world? Because when you're asking if they should be like Wisconsin, you're talking about coaching philosophy. So we're going to talk about what their philosophy should be going forward and kind of what it has been in the past with Jim Harbaugh. We'll try to combine those two. Nathan, are you in favor of Michigan being Wisconsin East? Should that be their strategy? No, they should strive to be better than that. It's That's in their history. That's in their tradition is to be something better than just another good college football team that wins a, a weaker division. They should be more than what they are now. There's no reason we shouldn't at least be talking about them in the same way that we talk about Penn State, which I think is a program that is slightly above where Michigan is right now. Michigan should be in, in that conversation. They should be they should be closer to Ohio State. I mean, when I was younger, you know, growing up in the footprint of the Big Ten, we talked before about how um, – we've talked before about, like, what it is to be a great college football team and how, like, an aura is part of that. And when I was growing up in the footprint of the Big Ten, Michigan had that aura as much or more than Ohio State does. And I'm not that old that I'm – I mean, I'm kind of old. But I'm not pretty. That you're old. pretty old. I'm you're getting pretty old. You're pretty old. This, this is I'm a very Nathan. This is a very back in my day type of story right now. But well, okay. But my my day wasn't that long ago when I was in like <laughs> my teens and twenties, where Michigan was considered like a force. I mean, that people talked about Michigan depending on the year, the way that they talk about Ohio State now. And there's, I think Michigan can get back to that level. I think they've they're in a lull. In terms of that level, they're still a really good football team, good football program. They just aren't at Ohio State's behemoth level right now. And either either Ohio State slips up again at some point, or I think there's there's room for Michigan to make a jump back up to that level. But I think your criticism earlier of, of the fact that Jim Harbaugh hasn't developed his quarterbacks yet. And there's another part of this question I think is almost a separate question as to whether Jim, Har was, Jim Harbaugh's ever been a good football coach. The, the question of whether or not he's developed quarterbacks at at Michigan is obvious. Like the, he hasn't gotten it done. He has not developed really good quarterbacks at Michigan now. And that's something that he has to fix maybe first and foremost to really be able to challenge Ohio state. All right. So no Wisconsin for Michigan, Steven, where do you think about that? No, last time I checked, Wisconsin is not beating Ohio state either. And we don't need another Wisconsin in the world. We've got one and, they've got a, a very low ceiling to what they can accomplish. They need to, I agree with Nathan, they need to strive to be more than that. And I think they're already, they have an opportunity to be ahead of where Wisconsin is. They should, they should be like what Penn State is right now. They're a good program who, you know, plays Ohio State tough. Every so often they might get a win. And they're one of the top 20 to 15 programs in the country. 
So I agree with that. Now move on to the offensive and defensive philosophies. I, I do think it's been interesting to me as a non-Jim Harbaugh expert, but just sort of my outsider expectations. I went back and looked at what he did in his last year at Stanford. And in 2009, his second to last year at Stanford, Kobe, Toby Gearhart went so nuts, he finished second in the Heisman Trophy balloting as like a big, broad-shouldered running back. And then in 2010, Andrew Luck was Andrew Luck, and they had Kobe Fleener. And they were like throwing the ball to tight ends and stuff. And they were fourth in the country, and they only lost once. And I thought that Jim Harbaugh, then he went to the NFL, but it's like when you started thinking about Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, I was thinking about the Kobe Fleeners. Toby, Kobe, Colby, Tolby, Tanner, Trevor, Toby. Tyler, I don't know. I can't, it, but I thought it was going to be a whole mishmash of Kobe and Tolbys and Tanners and, and it, and it like, Tanner. where are they? Like Tanner Toby? Muse, who yeah. I call Toby. I don't know. So where's my Kobe Fleener? So the thing is, I, I thought he was going to come in and develop quarterbacks. I thought they were going to have like a power offense where they throw to the tight end. I thought they'd have like a really sturdy defense. That defensive efficiency I looked up in 2010, the last year at Stanford, they were first in the nation in offensive efficiency and 10th in defensive efficiency. And I thought that's what it was going to look like, that Urban Meyer was going to be running this, this run power run spread with some fast guys that are hard to keep up with. And then here comes Jim Harbaugh with like a pro style attack with a really good throwing quarterback that attacks you with tight ends and is going to play sturdy defense. And like, I don't, I, I, it feels like it quite, it hasn't like, it hasn't quite been the best of that because they haven't developed the quarterbacks. And now they've switched as the, as the other textures had mentioned, they've kind of gone to more of this speed thing. They brought in Josh Gaddis to kind of like run the spread so I do feel like what I thought his original philosophies were, he never really maximized, and now he's kind of moving away from it a little bit. And I do think that's always a little bit hard. Jim Harbaugh brought in Josh Gaddis to do something that, like Josh, that Jim Harbaugh doesn't naturally do himself. So he was smart enough to say, well, let me bring in an offensive coordinator to do that. But at some point, if that doesn't work, then do you just say, well, listen, man, why don't we just get a head coach who's more used to that? Why are we keeping this coach who has sort of philosophies and ideas from another era and we're asking him to change? Maybe he can't change. Maybe the game is just changed. The game has changed. He hasn't. Let's make a switch. So in terms of his, are his philosophies outdated? I think maybe and I think Josh Gaddis is proof of that. So maybe he's a, a, an old dog that can learn new tricks, but I do think it's an interesting analysis of Jim Harbaugh. And if this Gaddis thing doesn't really work, then I think maybe that is the end of Jim Harbaugh. So the second part of that question, Nathan, is was he ever a good coach or did he fall up in the coaching world? You seem intrigued by that part of the question. Well, I think it's a very Ohio State fan kind of question. I don't mean to criticize the questioner, but I mean, just look back at Jim Harbaugh's career. I mean, he takes over at San Diego State, fairly mediocre program, goes 7-5, then 11-1, 11-1, back-to-back. So that gets him the Stanford job. He builds Stanford in four years to a 12-1 and team. That gets him the 49ers job. His first three years in the NFL, 13-3, and 11-5, 12-4, three NFC championship games, and losing a Super Bowl. 
And then in Michigan, I, and again, I know we only look at it through the Ohio State eyes, but in three years at Michigan, five years at Michigan, 47 and 18 in three 10 win seasons. So Jim Harbaugh's a good football coach. And that place was a mess when he got there. And, and Michigan was a mess. So Jim Harbaugh is a really good football coach. I know he can't beat Ohio State. I know you can make a very strong argument that he is one of the reasons why they're not beating Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh is a very, very good head football coach. I will, I will, I feel like that's a non-controversial he's a, statement. He's a good, he's a good coach who is a part of a rivalry that's had great coaches right now. So. And I guess the question is, so, so he didn't, he didn't fail up in the coaching world. You don't go from no. San Diego to Stanford to the Super Bowl to Michigan by failing up. But are his, are his best days behind him? Maybe. I can that's fair, that that's a fair thing to ask. Sure. Yeah. Which sure. is not what the question asked, but yeah. But Urban Meyer kind of made the same decision when he decided to bring Ryan Day in after losing 31 to nothing to Clemson, and it revamped things. It just happened to work for Ohio State, and in year one for Michigan, it didn't work. Yeah, no, I, people, I agree. And were so, people at the end of Urban Meyer's tenure, some people asking, are his best days behind him? Oh, there was a lot of stale offense talk. With, yeah, with so Urban, sure. I, I just think it's easy to say that, you know, right now after year one. Um uh, we see the, the, what the quarterback recruiting looks like for Michigan right now with J.J. McCarthy. Let's see what it, you know, with both of those things intact, let's, let's see what happens. I, I do think we're sort of, um, and people have pointed this out, and it's an obvious point, but Harbaugh has never been a head coach at a place for as long as, as he's been the head coach at Michigan now. Because he did three years at San Diego. He did four years at Stanford. He did four years with the 49ers, and now he's done five years at Michigan. So he's sort of like entering, I don't know if you want to call it a second act at Michigan, but he's never been a head coach at this place this long. I do think he might make more sense in college than the NFL because he's weird. And there's a quote that I came across from the great former 49ers linebacker Patrick Willis uh, early in Harbaugh's tenure that like he's crazy, but he's good crazy. And now I'm paraphrasing because he's like crazy, but he's the kind of crazy. That's like, he's on your side. You want him in your foxhole. He'll do anything for you. Kind of crazy, but he's definitely crazy. And that kind of came out at the end. Alex Boone, the former Ohio state offensive lineman from Cleveland was who played for Harbaugh in San Francisco. I was, you know, said some stuff sort of near the end of the Harbaugh tenure after the Harbaugh San Francisco tenure that I do just think, it's possible he wears on you a little bit. But in college, the players move through. So it's like if you're a superstar NFL player for one franchise and, like, Jim Harbaugh is your coach for, like, five, six, seven years, you might be like, oh, my gosh, this guy's driving me nuts. College players aren't around long enough for Jim Harbaugh to really drive them nuts. Or, like, right at the point where he's driving them nuts, they leave. So this might be – he really might be a college coach because he could stay – and the players cycle through rather than going to the NFL and feeling like he has to cycle through. So I do think he's a player's coach who also wears on the players over time. So I, I think that part of him, he's always been a different kind of dude, but I just think that might fit him at Michigan. And then it's all a matter of, does he wear on the fan base? Does he wear on the donors? Does he wear on his athletic director? Does he wear on the university president? Those are the people who have to deal with him for longer than four years. The players, it's like, I'm in and I'm out. So maybe that would be in the end, what maybe if there is an end of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, what might contribute to it is 
the people who are in charge at Michigan are just maybe tired of the act. So I, I do think that's part of who he is. But I don't think he failed up. I do think it's possible the way he wanted to win football games at the beginning of his career is not quite so easy to win games these days with that philosophy. This question, I think, possibly is factually incorrect. And I looked it up and I was confused. And I don't know if anyone else looked this up. From the 614, Harbaugh's current contract goes through 2024. If there are no Big Ten titles or playoff appearances in that time, will he finish it out? And is it more likely he'll leave or be fired? I don't think that's right from the 614 because there's reporting the Michigan people, the Michigan writers have been writing this offseason that his contract actually is up after 2021 and that they are in the midst of renegotiations. And I will read you a story from Rainier Sabin from the Detroit Free Press. And everybody is writing the same kind of stuff. The agreement itself, which is set to expire following the end of the 2021 season, hasn't been extended, raising doubt about Harbaugh's long-term future with the program. That is a story from July 8th, from this month. So there's actually some stuff around. It feels like what Michigan is saying is that, hey, we were talking about it, then the pandemic happened. We all love each other. But it, there is a little bit of something hanging over Michigan. So we're going to have to change the phrasing of the question a little bit. But what, what, what interests you then, Stephen, about Jim Harbaugh's contract situation as here we are getting ready for 20, the fall of 2020 and his deal as it stands is up after 2021? Well, I mean, if you're we're seeing reports of, you know, a three-year extension, then obviously, you know, they, Michigan itself it feels like he's doing a pretty good job outside of the rivalry. Um, but it, if, if, that, if that's not – if, you know, those agreements don't come to term within the next, you know, 24 months here and 2021 comes up and he still hasn't beaten Ohio State, it'll be interesting to see if that's like, you know, if he can't win in this rivalry, that's the thing that forces him to go in a different direction. Has he gotten a three-year extension? He has not. It's been, uh, I'll just reading something on SI.com. It says that an extension of at least three years takes, takes, would take Jim Harbaugh through 2024. So it's been. I think that's where the confusion up. came in. I think that's what the extension has been. And he, Harbaugh said last week that they yeah. were close to an extension or, or, you know, pro- progress was being made towards an extension. And then COVID happened and it all kind of got shelved. Mm-hmm. So does that, do you buy, like, does that make sense to you or? If they're only working on a three-year extension and they're, he's only a year out from this being thing up, this thing being up, does that raise any red flags for you, Nathan? Well, I mean, I think at some point Jim Harbaugh is being paid an awful lot just to be what I called him before, a pretty good coach. Um, at some point, you do need a breakthrough of some kind, I think, to justify what the resources are being put into you personally let alone the program overall. And I do think Michigan is capable of more as much as I think I'd kind of defended the integrity of Jim Harbaugh as a, or defended his reputation as a football coach. There's Michigan needs to do more. Michigan needs to be more. I think it it needs to be striving for a higher plane than it's on right now. Um, I think though, the other thing to remember here is the 18 playoff could help them a little bit. It could bail him out a little bit of this. I think by the, if he gets this extension, then I think certainly by 2024, I don't think we still have a 14 playoff. And I think that changes the conversation a little bit. 
It is interesting how much context matters for this because, I mean, the context of the rivalry doesn't really change. Did you beat Ohio State or not? Did you beat Michigan or not? But as we've talked about before, John Cooper would have been immensely helped by a four-team playoff, and he never had that. He had to finish in the top two. Jim Harbaugh, I agree with you, would be immensely helped by an eight-team playoff. And all of a sudden, if you can start hanging playoff banners, you don't have to win a title, but it's a, you don't even have to win in your conference. You don't even have to win your division. You can win nothing but hang a banner. We made the playoff. And, like, you know, you can hang banners for we played, you know, we made the Citrus Bowl or whatever, or we made That's the Orange the Bowl, but it's not the same. So if Michigan has a playoff banner somewhere, even without an East title, a Big Ten title, or a national title, that would matter to him. So, all right, so that's – I still can't find the three-year extension thing. But I'll believe you guys. I'll believe the texter. That's out there. They're still talking about it. Um, the longer it gets delayed – you guys know how this stuff works, though, right? I mean, like, if somehow – we get it. The pandemic put everything on hold. But if this thing continues to linger for some reason, uh, it's going to become more of a thing. Question 11, if the games are played without the crowd, meaning that Ohio State-Michigan plays, but it doesn't feel like a real Ohio State-Michigan game because there's no crowd, does that change the schedule in future years? Put another way, would Ohio State-Michigan be in Columbus in 2021 if the 2020 game has no spectators? Steven, do you have a view? I mean, do you have just a gut? We don't know this. Any gut opinion on this? So basically, they would just push back every year of who's at home. Um, no, because they're already the game is already supposed to be in Columbus this year. He's asking if they play the game this year with yeah. no fans, would they then get to play the game next year at home again with fans? All right, so I'll answer this because the answer <laughs> yeah. is no. The answer is no. heck, a million times no. I don't see any way. They're not. Yeah. That, since since two thousand, so. We know this now, and it's like I, it took me – it's like I, I should know this by now. I should just know this intrinsically. I'm sure the people listening to this know this. And I guess I knew it, but I didn't have it in my bones exactly. Even years it's in, at Ohio State and odd years it's at Michigan. And it has been that way since 1903. For whatever reason, and I'll put it on the list of things we may write about if there's no football, when the series started – they played the first time in 1897. It was in Michigan, 1900 at Michigan, 01 at Columbus, 02 and 03 were both in Ann Arbor. And then since then, it's been back and forth. And so Columbus was in 04, and then here we go. And so since then, since, since 03, 04, it's back and forth. Odd years are in Michigan. Even years are in Ohio State. Like, you can't change that. And first of all, you can't. One, this COVID stuff, you got to get done with it and move on as quickly as possible. You can't like screw up. You, you want to have it affect future years as little as possible. So it's like, I'm sorry, too bad, Ohio State. If you had to play Michigan in September with no fans, that still was your game. There's just no way that they, it would affect anything in the future. Does anybody disagree with that? Well, I think what's interesting is, and this is a different question, but if the whole season gets canceled this year, does the Big Ten – go forward with the 2021 plan as is, or does then does it push back the conference schedule every year? So 2020 they, now becomes 2021. I think and they just go with things as normal going forward. Just bag it. Too bad. Yeah. 2020 got screwed up. Take it's that over. and just move forward with, because everybody will know why it's not. I, I just, you can't, I, you can't mess with it. You can't mess with it. I just don't think it's, 
And so Michigan would end up hosting consecutive games of the game. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Do you think Gene would put up a fight about that? Well, again, I don't think it's – to me, it's not so much the competitive who had that game at home or whatever. I'm just looking at it more realistically as people had um, fewer home games in 2019, no Big Ten home games in 2020, fewer Big Ten home games in 2021. I'm wondering if finances become an issue and if they look at redrawing the schedule a little bit to uh, mitigate some of that. But it's like like everybody who had – Right. I mean, if you had five home games and now you're going to get it's hard to give somebody an edge back without screwing somebody else in the process. And I think the best, the most reasonable thing is to just shrug your shoulders and say, sorry, it was weird. It it was what it was, but nothing in the future is changing now financially. I like I don't know. Right. I don't know. Would you try to do because that's that's the biggest moneymaker. They charge more for the Michigan tickets. Right. That that whole part of it. Um, I would wonder how the conference might work that out because they they share so much of the stuff with TV revenue and things like that. But, you know, your gate is your gate in terms of ticket sales. I wonder if Gene would try to. But on the other hand, because Gene is like telling Oregon, you know, we're not we're not switching the 2021 game in Columbus. You know, like we're not playing that game like that game is out. So I don't know. I just think in the end you have to go by. You just wipe it away and move on for the future as normal. All right, last one. From the 419, go down the rabbit hole. If JT Barrett is short on the spot in 2016 and Jim Harbaugh wins in 2016, he most likely would have a win over Ohio State and a playoff appearance. How does that change anything? We have done this before, but I still think it's not a bad way to to sort of finish off our part of this Ohio State-Michigan podcast. It's the thing we've talked about so much. No, nobody in the Ohio State Michigan series. We've gone over that in previous podcasts with the coaches. Uh, nobody's 0 5. Jim Harbaugh is 0 5. Um, you know, this run for Michigan is devastating. And then, like, the, even, and I don't know that this gets brought up a lot. I mean, like, the only win is like, a, okay, well, the Ohio State's program blew up. And still, you know, if, if it's the pass is two inches shorter on the DeVere Posey's fingertips, Ohio State might win that game. But like, Ohio. You know, Michigan hasn't beaten a good Ohio State team um, since 2003. So in the end, and we've done this before, but we'll do it one more time. Stephen, as we sit here, if we were sitting here and Jim Harbaugh was one and four, and if Michigan had gone, let's do this too. Let's send Michigan to the playoff and have them lose to Clemson 31 nothing, Because let's spin it both ways. Because I know still there are some Ohio State fans who were like scarred by that 31 nothing loss to Clemson, if you give that game to Michigan, because I don't know that there's anything that Michigan did that would have been that much better than what Ohio State did against Deshaun Watson, right? And I know Michigan didn't have Malik Hooker. Maybe it would have been 38-0. I feel like almost it would hurt Ohio State fans to have lost that Michigan game for sure. But then if Michigan would have gone on and gotten waxed by Clemson, then Ohio State fans would be like, see, the one time you got in the playoff, you guys sucked. When we got in the playoff, we won it. It's proof that you yeah. can't hang with the big boys. So let's play that rabbit hole 2016 game. Now, that trash talk gets put on the table. It's It almost aids while Ohio State fans feel that they're better than, than Michigan. It sort of aids that. But outside of that, I don't think it changes much in Ohio State's trajectory. Ryan Day still gets brought in, and he revamps the quarterback room. Okay, but this is a gets... Michigan podcast. What about okay. Michigan's trajectory? We probably view <laughs> – 
I mean, they they would have had a playoff appearance. So maybe we viewed them this this rivalry a little bit differently just because Jim Harbaugh would have finally gotten one and it would have been over Urban Meyer. So they would have had a playoff appearance already. So it would the gap would still be the gap, but at least, you know, Jim Harbaugh would have finally gotten a win over Ohio State and it would have been at in Ohio Stadium. Nathan, what do you think? Does it change Michigan's trajectory very much? Well, again, I think relative to Ohio State, it certainly does. I think right now, I mean, you talk about a 3 nothing gap in terms of playoff appearances since the playoffs started. That's very different than 2-1. to one. Um, Taking one away from Ohio State, giving it to Michigan, I think that changes the complexion of a lot of things. I don't think we're getting questions like the one we got before about whether Jim Harbaugh has ever been a good football coach because he would have like a pretty significant head-to-head win against Ohio State and an accomplishment that Ohio State didn't have. I think the, the But I think what you're probably asking is, is, is Michigan in a different place today if it had won that game? I think that's a really interesting question to ask because, uh, as you pointed out, it's not like they are in the dregs of college football. I mean, they're, they're still recruiting at a, a high level compared to a lot of college football. They're still one of the better programs in the Big Ten, one of the better programs nationally. We're talking about like a f- top 15 program. So could they have used that moment to kind of catapult themselves up to another tier? And now maybe they are uh, that they're there instead of Penn State right now or something like that, or they're, they're right on that next level. Um, I think it's possible, but that's that's why sports are great, because now we'll never know. All right, let, let me spin this the most Ohio State way possible. It's what, what it would mean for Michigan through the eyes of Ohio State. Knowing Ohio State, some Ohio State fans and some Ohio State reporters, like I do, if Michigan had beaten Ohio State in 2016 because the spot had gone the opposite way, and that was Harbaugh's only win against Ohio State. He's one and four, and he's one and four. The one is on the spot. And then they go to the playoff, and Deshaun Watson takes them apart. And Ohio State goes to whatever. I don't even know what bowl Michigan went. But Ohio State goes to some other bowl and beats some, you know, beats the 11th best team in the country because that team doesn't have Deshaun Watson. I almost think that would be worse for Michigan because Ohio State fans and a lot of Ohio State media would never stop talking about the spot. And if you're an Ohio State fan and you think the Michigan fans talk about the spot too much, imagine it the other way. Oh, yeah, Harbaugh's one and four. Oh, yeah, the one, the spot. JT Barrett doesn't run into his own guy's butt. And if the refs don't screw it up, God, you'd be 0-5. And, And yeah, oh, what'd you do with it when you beat Ohio State? Oh, you lost to Deshaun Watson 31 to nothing. Like, Michigan State beat Ohio State in 2015, and it devastated Ohio State. And then Michigan State went to the playoff and proved it didn't belong. And nobody thinks like, oh, well, you know. I mean, it's like it hurt Ohio State fans, but nobody thinks like it, it wasn't like a huge overall. It wasn't like Michigan State changed the entire trajectory of its program. Because they they got to the playoff, and then it was like, and now you're not good enough. It's clear you're not good enough. Now, Ohio State clearly wasn't good enough in 2016. But then they had been good enough in 2014, and then they were right there in 2019. I almost think for Michigan to have a single playoff appearance hanging out there that is just getting your butt kicked, you would just be down there with Michigan State and Washington and these one-time playoff pretenders who prove they didn't belong. And I'm not so sure that's better for Michigan. And yes, one in four is better than 0 and five. 
But the way that game unfolded, Ohio State fans can defend the spot because they can say, well, yeah, but we also beat you in 15, and then we beat you in 17. Then we kicked your butt in 18. It's like, sure, that one time we needed a break from the refs, but the other times we killed you. If your only win is by a spot, man, I think Ohio State fans might make Michigan's fans' lives miserable over that thing. Am I completely off there that you're, if you're a Michigan fans, my God, you'd take the win. You'd take the win. But I feel like it would be a tainted win, at least in the fact Ohio State fans would make T-shirts about the spot. I don't know, man. I think it I would think, have been almost like the worst way to win. I think the add-on of being blown out 31 to nothing when you got into the playoff would have helped it, of course. And I, I think that same year, the it, thing that doesn't equate in your example is didn't Michigan's lost its last four bowl games. So Michigan then went to a bowl game and lost too after not winning that game. So if Ohio State would then, yeah, in, in the, if, if all things being equal, Ohio State would then also go to a bowl game and lose. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But you know how the, you know how rivalries are. It's just hard. And when like Ohio State fans almost would not accept it as a Michigan win. Right? I mean, honestly. It would have an, it would have an, they would try to put an asterisk on it, right. on it as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, I know Michigan fans are still upset about the spot, but it's like, I think it's easier for Ohio State fans to kind of ignore Michigan fans there because it's like, okay, fine, whatever. That game was close. What about the other ones around it? We killed you there. You know, 15, 17, 18, 19, there was no doubt about it. So um, anyway, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting alternate universe. So uh, I, can, I can imagine how that would go, though. Because I don't think, yeah. And actually, Penn State, I guess, would have gotten in the playoff. I don't know. Maybe Michigan would have. Who knows? But anyway, sometimes I do believe in the idea of sometimes, and now to spin it back for Ohio State just briefly, what 2016 did, my God, maybe Tim Beck would still be here. Oh, my God. <laughs> maybe I need to do that. Because we, oh, my God. Wait, no, you're saying if Ohio State would have lost to Michigan that year, they would have kept him back on the staff? Well, because they wouldn't have gotten shut out in the playoff and been like, all right, this is the final proof. We can't score a freaking point on the national stage. We got to change something. It might have been like, oh, the ref screwed us. Hey, we won our bowl game that nobody cared about. Let's go, Tim. You're getting better. Like, did it require all those things? I think we actually talked about that. It throws off everything. <laughs> like, is Ryan Day not here? Maybe Ryan Day, maybe Michigan As Ryan beats Day. Ohio State, goes and yeah. gets blown up by Clemson, and Jim Harbaugh hires Ryan Day. Oh. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, I'll text Ryan Day. Hey, Ryan, just real quick. If the spot had gone the other way and Jim Harbaugh had tried to hire you instead of Ohio State, would you have taken – yeah. If it's November and there's no games, that's where we'll be going. All right. Um, that's our side of this. Ohio State, Michigan. We did it. We previewed all 12 – of the regular season games that were scheduled when we started the preview. Um, Nathan, can you believe we made it? What's hilarious about this is, as is often the case, we're pre-recording this. We're pre-recording this before I head off for, like, my wedding and stuff. So between now and a week from now, when this is actually heard by anyone, we may know for sure what the Big Ten schedule looks like, which could be completely different than this 12-game process that we've followed all summer. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how many, like, editor's notes were dropped in previously to you just saying that. If there were none, that means yeah. everything – nothing's been finalized yet. Um, I'm just proud that somebody made it through the 12-game schedule. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did a 12-game schedule. Yeah, the yeah. Big Ten bailed on it, but we didn't. We didn't but like Florida did. stuff. So, uh, and I and like people said, oh, why did you? It was good content while it was out there. I don't regret that we did it early on, even oh. though they're not going to play Oregon. And we talked about that before. So anyway, that's that. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, for Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>